Hello, and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. Welcome to round two, turn five. I am joined by the one and only metagamer, Paul Satache. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Matt. The one and only. Thank you. I, I feel so... Well, it's just, I mean, literally that we don't have another metagamer. We could, we just don't. Uh, okay. <laughs> so for right now, you're all we have. And I'm the only other person in the room, so I think that's... that's it. Uh, I'm so glad to have you here today. I was really looking forward to this episode. I feel um, you're at the end of every round, so or towards the end. Yep. You're not technically at the end. We had to switch with uh, the casual gamer, Jake, who is having some back surgery this week. Aye. Aye. Everybody yeah. uh, give some... Some positive vibes yes. towards uh, to, to Jake, Jake, the oh, casual gamer this Actually, week. when you're listening to this, he will be having surgery that day. That is correct. Uh, hope it goes well, Jake. Uh, yes, hope it goes well. In unrelated news, we are looking for a new member for our podcast group. <laughs> <laughs> Please send all your board game applications That's right. to... And a $5 uh, entry fee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure Jake will be fine. We send him the best. And Paul is filling in for Jake this week. Uh, and we are very glad to have you because we have the most Paul game ever and the most Paul top 10 ever. <laughs> it couldn't be more Paul themed today. Yes, right. This is the Paul show, apparently. Yeah. Since we can't review Avalon, we were reviewing the other most Paul game. So today we will be reviewing The Estates, which is the game of bidding and building and uh, a game that is really just a game of meta. It is. It, it definitely requires that. It requires a lot of meta gaming going on. So we will get deep into that. And the top 10 today, in this round, the theme is top 10s. Today's top 10 is top 10 games that create memories, which is also a very metagamer thing. If you have a metagamer in your group like Paul, somebody who, who uh, puts first the social aspect of gaming and the game happening outside of the game, uh, I think you will find that memories are created naturally by just having that person in your group because they facilitate that. So today we're going to tell you. Now, Matt isn't saying good memories. He's just saying memories in general. I, I don't think it. I think the <laughs> distinction is irrelevant for top tens. I think bad <laughs> memories will often stick uh, stronger than good memories, maybe. Uh, but so today we're going to each give you our top 10 games that we think will facilitate the creation of memories, whether positive or negative. That's right. Not guaranteed, but like facilitate. Yeah, these are the games that are most likely to create stories that you tell with your friends for years to come. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about this week's game nights. At ours, we had a two-table uh, simultaneous switching. Not simultaneous switching. That doesn't make sense. We played them and then swapped of packs and pipes. What does that mean? Pax Pamir 2.0, the game by Cole Worley, which is his Pax game, which we talked about my unboxing of last week, which was uh, a mild disaster for me. And uh, we played it, and I taught it twice. So I taught it to half of our group, and the other half played uh, Pipelines, our review game from last week. And then we switched, yep. and I taught Pax to everybody else, and the other people played Pipelines. So I played Pax twice. Uh, Paul, you played Pax. What did you think of it? I think it's uh it's really great. You know, I think it's I mean, I've only played it twice. Yeah. So uh I think it's an accessible it's it's more accessible compared to uh Pax Renaissance. Yeah, so the the Pax games are we actually were talking a lot about what defines a Pax game. It's not the the clearest thing in the world, but what defines it is definitely card based and uh where I something I think actually defines it which may not be so clear on your first few plays of, of different PAX games is that you are never playing as anything other than a single individual mm. in all PAX games. And it's really about the power that an individual has over, you know, factions or governments or political bodies or banks. I mean, in PAX Renaissance, you were playing 
a singular person who runs a bank. And, and the game is about how in the age of the Renaissance, the merchant became the most powerful person in the world because their money was able to influence armies and governments and things. And where always it was monarchies or armies or governments that ran the world. And this, in the Renaissance, what switched was that individuals were able to uh, exert their power for better or worse up to you. Unlike today. Well, I think that, I think that <laughs> it, it changed then. And I think that has become sort of the norm mm. uh, where, you know, wealthy individuals were able to, you know, change the fate of nations more than, you know, kings and queens of the past. Um, so uh, Pax Pamir is about a conflict in Afghanistan in the 1800s and uh, political turmoil has taken place and many different factions are vying for control of, of uh, Afghanistan. And you are just a tribal leader in Afghanistan, and you are deciding which faction you want to throw your hat in with and help achieve their goals in order to win. But you are never one of these factions. The factions are Russian, British, or Afghani, and you are not any of them. These are just sort of like companies in 18xx that you are uh, investing in. And at any point, you can drop all of your stock in that company and, and switch to one that you think is going to be more profitable for you in terms of victory points. You're basically coattailing, you know, like this, this faction yeah. is, uh, this power is winning. I better be on their team or, you know, and then in, in, in much like in all, so I guess that's another, uh, facet of PAX games is that there are many routes to victory and, uh, there's either, you know, have your faction be the best faction and score points from that or the singular victory of, of just have more uh, cylinders out in, in the world, uh, whether it's tribes or spies or things like that. But that's not the I'm banking on a faction thing. That's I'm banking on myself. No faction is doing very well. So there, are, you know, that that's sort of the other packs thing is different ways to win, playing as a singular person, card based, uh, and usually uh, quite opaque and complicated. No, I, it, you know, like the, the person who really is a master at this is Alfred. <laughs> well, he has won all the PAX games he's played. That's he's right. Played the only twice. person in our group. That's right. We played it again at Tom's game night last night. So we've played it a bunch this week as we're wont to do with a new game that comes out. And uh, Alfred has done quite well at it. Uh, he'll probably tell you that he lucked into all those wins. And I will agree with one of those. Uh, I, I think I he played like he, well last night. Yeah, I think he's uh, metagaming the situation. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a very interesting game. We, we'll probably get to review it eventually. But uh, it definitely review, deserves a few more. But if you're interested in PAX games, this is far and away the simplest of all the PAX games to play so far. Uh, and they are all quite complicated. So that is still saying this is a complicated game. Uh, we had a game of Avalon last night that's worth talking about. <laughs> uh, Avalon is the game that we often play. It's on our eight by eight. It is a uh, eight to no, what five to ten player party game with hidden roles. And last night, the hidden role that I got was Merlin, which is the most interesting role to play. I think uh, in that you have ninety percent of the information. You know most of the spies, all but one. And your job in is our to setup. help your team win without giving away that you're Merlin. Because if they know who Merlin is, they can automatically win. Uh, I think I did fine. You did amazing, I Matt. did a you, good job. A perfect game. Um, Trey uh, got the role of Matt last night, I think. <laughs> um, and, we should have an award, like a little uh, hat or a sash. Yeah. There's so, something that often happens to me is I've, I've noticed a lot of our Avalon games, of Avalon games come down to one blue player being put in a position to decide the game. And whether or not that blue player, blue meaning good, not bad, whether or not that good player is more swayed by the spies or more swayed by uh, good players decides the outcome of the game. And in last night's game, Trey was more uh, 
he, he, he was, sided with the bad guys. It was rough. Like, you know, the math really said that he had to make a hard choice. It was yeah. like a, a 60-40 choice, perhaps, maybe even 50-50. Yeah. And he just picked poorly. I think he was 90-10. I mean, I really <laughs> I really think he that, that to me is what the mat is, is when you are 100% convinced that or 90% convinced of who the good guys are. And on the last team, he pulled a mat. And his <laughs> team was all spies except for him. He literally didn't he he couldn't have picked more incorrectly he literally just all the spies were on his team at the end and that that was the game well you know in a way like you know as i for some reason always wind up playing like some kind of bad guy yeah and uh what i've come to realize is like yes you're merlin hunting that's that's our meta we, we tend to look for merlin as, yeah. as far as try to get the uh the the, the three wins that the sure. simple win but if we want to go for a simple win we only need to the three of us need to just or whoever may spies needs to find the one blue person and yeah. just persuade that person. Yeah, and you did with Trey. And you didn't have to work too hard because the, the math made you guys look better than me yeah. in terms of how the votes went out and things like that and where the Lady of the Lake was. I think I could have played better with the Lady of the Lake. I think if I had kept it on the blue team, we could have had a shot. Um, I could have, I, I mean, I don't know. If I, I could have given it to Trey or, you know, and had him look at me, it's, I don't know, I don't know. Well, I but, think like, you know, what you did was, by giving it to me was you signaled Cal to say that I'm bad. He knew, uh, he knew I was bad that the moment you said, because uh, he was Percival. Cal was Percival. Yeah, he already knew. I'd already signaled to him. I'd pointed to you mm. and the other spy. Anyway, you know, I, 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 we'll talk about this more in, in creating memories. Avalon creates a lot of memories. I, I think it creates a lot of negative memories. I mean, to me, <laughs> I don't think that's a good play experience that Trey had. I mean, I'm sure he enjoys the game, so he's fine with it. But I think it, it feels bad when that happens. And it's happened to me a bunch. And it, it's not... It's not. It's a bad feeling. I don't. Maybe I, it's bad. Maybe it's much worse for me than it was for Trey. But I genuinely do not like that feeling of being like, "Oh, I just got swayed by the wrong people, and I feel like an idiot." I, for me, like I love it when some people outplay me. I, I yeah. love it because I go like, "Oh, well done, guys. You you punked me good." Yeah. And I think that's true. Uh, maybe it's just a more of a weird personal thing for me. Maybe it just like hits a weird childhood thing for me of just being. <laughs> I'm, not, like, I'm not laughing duped. at your childhood trauma. I'm just yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's not. It doesn't feel good when it happens to me. Uh, so I felt for Trey last night. Um, so yeah, that's this week's games. Let's move on to news. It has a jingle. It goes like this. Nope, not like that. Every week, every week, every week. Uh, Thunderstone Quest is a game that I've talked about as recently as last week as my favorite deck builder, uh, replacing Dominion and other games in that ilk. Uh, it has a new Kickstarter right now, Thunderstone Quest. Uh, if you look that up on Kickstarter, you will find it. They've had many Kickstarters, so you've got to make sure you put in 2019 there. But there is a new line of expansions coming out for it but most importantly this is a way of getting all the past expansions um i think you're fine just with the base game there's a lot of game in that but much like dominion if you play it a ton you will get bored of all the different uh, amalgamations of cards that can come together in combinations there uh so we all know that more expansions for deck builders is never necessarily a bad thing as it's just more variety but um take a look at it it's a good way to get all the things you haven't gotten yet check it out aeg is the one who puts it out you have six days well you will have three days by the time you hear this. So check that out if you're interested in my favorite uh, deck building game. Uh, Catan Seafarers. Now that is a holy grail game for many people. It is a space-themed version of Catan with slightly different rules, slightly more complicated. A lot of people prefer it. There are a couple different uh, versions of Catan that have come out. Game of Thrones Catan, many people say, is the gamer's version of Catan, not to, uh, you know... Is that the... the 
the hardcore Game of Thrones tiddlywinks. Yeah, that's, that's Game of Thrones tiddlywinks, exactly. Uh, but uh, Catan in the last couple of years has uh, rebranded. We didn't talk about this on our Catan Deep Dive, but they've rebranded their entire line and dropped Settlers of and just called it Catan. So uh, it, the game is actually not called Settlers of Catan anymore. It's called Catan. You cannot buy a new copy of Settlers of Catan. It's only oh, wow. Catan. Uh, and so now there is Catan Seafarers, not Settlers of Catan Seafarers. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, so that is, am I saying it wrong? Is it spacefarers? Hold on. I have to I think it's seafarers. Okay. Um, okay. I think that's just an expansion. Hold on. Now I got to look it up. Now I'm annoyed at myself. Um, but yeah, so that is, uh, it's sort of a, yeah, this is the space themed version of, of, uh, Catan and it's been out of print forever. I believe. Is it the Star Trek one? No, that that's probably just called Catan. It's not seafarers. It's spacefarers. Hold okay. on. I believe. Now I have to look it up. Now I'm annoyed at myself. Hold on. Um, have you ever played any different iterations of Catan? I've, I played this. I believe it was a Star Trek one. Like, you know, uh, and it was it took place in space and it, it was pretty fun. I played it once. It, I thought... Uh, Starfarers. I apologize, guys. Catan. Oh. The Starfarers of Catan is the one that is very much out of print. This is Catan Starfarers, which is coming out oh, uh, probably in time why, for... Maybe that's why Con. I played. Maybe that, maybe, I mean, it was... Uh, it was a while ago. It's got space hexes. And there's something about the movement was very interesting. Yeah, no, they're, 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 these different iterations of Catan have wildly different rules. So if, mm-hmm. if Catan to you does, isn't necessarily the most exciting thing, but you like some of the mechanics, you might be worth checking out. And apparently this is a lot of people sort of one, a very impossible to get game forever. And now a new version's coming oh, that, out. That's, so. that's too bad. I had an opportunity to just pick it up from a, a friend of mine. And oh, I, really? And I didn't. Uh-oh. Well, there you go. I got you, El, you know, El Grande instead. Oh, but. I see. Yes, you did. You did. Uh, there are two great interviews you can listen to if you love board games. Um, Ludology is one of my favorite uh, board game podcasts that I think you should listen to. It, they usually dive very deep into the design side of board games or the more um, uh, uh, board game analysis and, and not necessarily, you know, reviews and new games. Um, but they had Joran Duman on, and I'm definitely saying that wrong, but he's the co-founder of Splatter. Two people invented Splatter, which is one of our favorite uh, artisan board game production companies that made Food Chain Magnet and Antiquity and all, all of those great, lovely, heavy games. Uh, but Joran was on doing a wonderful like hour-long interview, and I just feel like that's a person that you rarely hear from in our community uh, because it's, it's just a hobby for them and they make great games and they're busy sure, and, sure. uh, they, you know, probably if they do, they don't often maybe do English language cause they are a, a Dutch. Uh, but yeah, it was really interesting. It was lovely to hear about their process of design. They just really sound like two people who love games and just make games for themselves. And they just happen to fall into a bit of success in this, but it's still not their jobs. They still have other full-time jobs and this sure. is just, they just happen to make like, you know, some of the most beloved board games in our hobby. And it's just like literally something they do on the weekends and nights, which I just think is cool. Uh, Martin Wallace also had an interesting interview this week. The, uh, the designer of many games such as Brass and Age of Steam. Uh, BoardGameAtlas.com. If you Google that along with Martin Wallace, you will find a uh, really interesting interview that Martin Wallace did on how Kickstarter has transformed the board game industry. Uh, Martin Wallace uh, famously this year was... Uh, in a little bit of a hoopla controversy over Age of Steam 
and uh, that new iteration on Kickstarter. So he definitely has some thoughts on it. It's worth checking out. <laughs> uh, that is our news. Let's talk about Games on the Brain. Games, games that we've on been the Brain. About. Games on the Brain. There is in a song. Paul, you've been thinking about Pipeline a lot. I have been thinking. Well, yes, definitely. Uh, the designer of Pipeline reached out to I us know. That's on great, Twitter. Thank you so much, Ryan, for uh, checking in and saying that you'd listen to the episode and enjoyed it. Uh, and making sure that we had a rule correct, which I think I may have misspoken on, which I think maybe... I, I had said that you could buy two of the same level upgrades on one turn. You definitely cannot. I, I knew that, but maybe I misspoke. But yeah, he just wanted to make sure we were playing it right, and I really appreciate that. That is some uh, lovely service by the designer there. Yeah, you know, thank you. Thanks for the shout out. Uh, let's see. Uh, on Tuesday, when we played, uh, when we swapped, uh, Dimitri, myself, and Jesse played Pipeline, mm -hmm. and like Dimitri and I got rocked by Jesse. Like he he crushed us, you know, uh, and it was. Uh, like he, I had 400, Dimitri mm -hmm. had three something. Jesse was pushing nine. What did he do better? Uh, well, he was first player. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he bought all, you know, all the relevant pipe round one. So he spent $35, bought all, you know, all the. So he did not go upgrades turn one. Yes. He went government, I'm guessing, government pipe? Uh, yes, government and pipe. And he bought four. Exactly. And what was really interesting about this was that... Oh, you uh, can buy five, I think, for 35, right? Isn't no, five? No, no, no. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it might it, be five for 35. Yeah, he, he bought a lot of pipe. He, he spent a whole bunch of money on pipe. Yeah. And what was interesting was in this particular layout, uh, the blue pipe cost four, four, and five. So the cheapest you can get, you know, so... Oh, okay. And everything so blue else... blue is cheap. The blue cheapest to, uh, to run your pipes through, yeah. yeah. Least and, amount of lengths you need. And everything else was like seven sixes. Ooh. Ooh, so blue was really exactly, and so if you weren't going blue, you were you had much slower engines than everybody else. Definitely, and so he he went there. Second move, he went to get contracts for money, but yeah. uh, but he also got a contract that pay, paid off intermediate blue. Yeah, and so we Dimitri and I were just so uh, uh, pipe behind, like yeah. like, like Jesse had pipe position, and this isn't the first time when at least we've played it where mm -hmm. there seems to be an obvious super strong opening move right and uh and if you're first player and you can recognize that you kind of dominate in some ways right and i don't know and if there is no mechanism for uh for giving the non-first players some sort of advantage there's exactly. not more money like a balancing or, mechanism yeah and there's also no real catch-up mechanic in the game uh, at absolutely all. You, i mean you, if you, you're behind you're behind which is fine for a, a you know a brutal economic game that's uh, you don't see that in most brutal economic games but yeah, so that that's sort of our question now. I think something you've been mm -hmm. talking about is like, is first player OP? A little OP. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes when the board is more balanced, I can see we've played uh, games where the board the board's more balanced, and so like if you're a third player or fourth player, you wind up uh, with good choices, right? But uh, we, we've seen it the other way, so I don't know if we're not playing it right or if we aren't seeing the opportunities that can be yeah. blocked. I mean, ultimately, like some a game like Gaia Project, for example, yeah. some, some races are going to be a lot stronger. Right, but there's ways to, to manipulate that. the board exactly. or, or also just you put a target on your back. Exactly. And other people are just going to not be uh, influenced to build near you, to stay away from you, to make, you more, to make things more expensive for you. Yeah. So like, you know, in, in that case, like, you know, is there a way that we... Yeah, there's no direct way to really attack anybody exactly. in Pipeline. There's no... You can't block them. You can't block their spaces they want to go to. All you can do is buy pipes or oil ahead of them. Basically cube denial or pipe denial. Right. That, that's basically it. And so by the end of round one, like, 
I knew that we had lost. Yeah. And I, that's, I'm not saying that. Like, year oh, one or round one? Year, year one. Year sorry. one. Okay. Uh, but round one was like by round three, he was producing. He could make pipe. He, he could make oil by pipe again and again. So by the time, yeah. like, you know, and, and to Jesse's credit, who, you know, oftentimes likes to call himself the puzzler. Mm-hmm. Like if you saw his uh, pipe board, you go like, that is a work of art. Right. It was impressive. You know, I was like, wow, that's a lot of pipe. It's all kind of interconnected. Yeah, it was like well done, sir. Yeah, you know. So he he terminate, uh, tournament played us. Like you know, we were like going, "Hi, I'm I'm, I'm Paul. I'm here to play this game." Just like I and and uh, Jesse just went, "Papa!" <laughs> <laughs> totally. So uh, so yeah, I'm curious like if anyone has uh, any thoughts on that. Like if they yeah. play pipeline, if they how do, how do you mitigate first player and it, does it need to be balanced? Does it need to be mitigated in some way or you know is sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. Something to think about. Um, but I think what the most important thing is that this is a game that's definitely captured us and we're thinking about it oh, a lot. Definitely. I'm, I just, I just, I'm really excited. I want to play it more. I'm really excited oh, to keep playing it. So um, we'll keep exploring that. Other games on the brain this week, Black Angel, which is the uh, game from the designer of Twa, probably my favorite board game of all time, Sebastian Dujardin. Uh, board Game Geek released a long video basically showing the game. Uh, one of the owners of Board Game Geek got a... A copy of it at Origins and has been playing it a bunch and showed it and sort of showed the mechanics of it. It is heavy. Really? I mean, it's wildly heavy. It's, I'm trying to compare, like, it's like through the ages heavy. I mean, it's, it seems like an hour long teach. It's Tricarion heavy, mm-hmm. I think. Sure, That's sure. sort of the level of, it's, you know, Complexity. hour long teach. It, it, it's everything from Twa mixed with everything from uh, Solaria mixed with a whole bunch of new stuff. I mean, it's, there's so much going on. It looks awesome. It, I'm very excited. Um, I'm hoping Trey can score me a copy at Gen Con. Otherwise, I will have to wait till, I don't know, Essen or October, November, I think, to come out. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it looks really interesting. Check out that video on Board Game Geek if you want to see. It's, it's sort of like our first real look at everything about it. Or you could send Tom to go on some street corner. Uh, and, uh. <laughs> <laughs> if only. If only I could get it on eBay and send Tom. Um, let's see. Uh, two Kickstarters ha- that, uh, I don't know. Kickstarter is a very toxic place in the board game community. Board game is, or the board game community I've found to be relatively the least toxic of, of most hobbies that I've, I'm involved in, or at least <laughs> aware of. Um, the Reddit on Board Game Geek is friendlier than most Reddits. Board mm-hmm. Game Geek itself, I think, is a, 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 in terms of hobbies, in terms of sort of geek hobbies, uh, Board Game Geek, I think, is one of the kinder and friendlier and least toxic locations that I've seen in, in hobby places. Uh, your, your mileage may vary. Uh, but Kickstarter board games are wildly toxic. And if you dare make a mistake on your Kickstarter or be a few months late, which is to be expected, I think, in most Kickstarters, or downgrade some of your... If you do any... People just go nuts. So Barrage is a Kickstarter that has had some controversy in terms of how delayed they are and potentially downgrading some of their promises in terms of component quality and things like that. But it is such a wildly toxic. I just go to the Kickstarter just to like, they send updates. Okay, what's Mm -hmm. going on? Okay, it's going to be a few more months late. Okay, that's fine. And I just like happened to glance at the Kickstarters and it's like, I mean, the pitchforks are out. It's super... Nerd fury. Yeah, but I feel like those same people don't act that way, you know, in other board game spaces. Like there's something about Kickstarter that like allows them to unleash this kind of internet specific vitriol that's such such a bummer i mean i suppose like you know it's a matter of like the contract right hey i give you money here yeah and whereas like but it's but that's not what kickstarter is 
You know, Kickstarter is a, is, is a is is a risk that people think is a pre-order system. Exactly. That's and probably it's, it's the, not. That's probably the thing. Like people think it's one thing, it's actually another. I mean, I'm I'm I get disappointed too when I saw that Barrage is you know delayed and def- who knows how long it's going to be now. Maybe we'll get it in the next couple months. Um, yeah, I was bummed, but mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I mean, there's nothing I could do about it. There's definitely no point in being mad. Eclipse 2.0. So Eclipse is a sort of a 4X space game that we mm-hmm. like. There's a brand new version of it that I kickstarted forever ago, it seems like. <laughs> and they had an announcement this week that, and they're just like, yeah, we got no updates for you. Like they, they're just sort of saying like, who knows? Like, I don't, it's, it really sounds like it's maybe never coming. Sure, I don't sure. know. It's forever in development. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you know, it, it was due like six months ago and they're just like, we're starting production soon. It's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Okay. So, you know, your first reaction is like, man, that sucks. Like, I was looking forward to that. And like, it seems like it's not going super great. But like, I don't know, you just look at the comments and it's like, I mean, it's, it's like violence. I mean, it's like threats and like, <laughs> it gets real. It gets real on Kickstarter. So yeah. I don't know. If you like the cozier, calmer side of our hobby, uh, I'd stay away from Kickstarter comment sections. Uh, eight by eight challenge this week. We, uh, we played a game of Avalon last night. We talked yep, about yep. that. Other than that, it's been rough cause we've had two weeks of huge new games coming out. So pipeline and packs came out in the last two weeks and came out. I mean, we're delivered to my home via Kickstarter, uh, pre-order systems, uh, at other pre-order systems. I mean, so I, have, I just we, have we maxed out on Avalon? Uh, no, I think we have two or three left. Let me check that for you right now. If you go to gamebrainpod.com, the hub of everything you could want to know about our podcast, if you click on about the show, you will see our eight by eight challenge and you can follow along. We have three left on Avalon right now. I think that should be one more actually. Uh, we might have two more. Um, I'm not sure he's updated it yet, but that is our update on the eight by eight challenge. Let us move into our review of the week. We're chugging right along Aren't here we? right this now. Is this is a, great. This Moving is at a brisk clip, as they say in the sailing world. Uh, we're going to review the estates today designed by Klaus Zock, who is mostly a designer that I am not familiar with. He is a uh, German designer who made a game called Bossock and Chicken Cha Cha Cha, two games I've never played nor heard of until I looked him up. Um, <laughs> Artwork by Don Van Paridon and Vis Van Paridon. I apologize for definitely butchering both of those. It is a game that plays two to five players in roughly 40 to 60 minutes. Yep. Um, it originally came out under the name of New Heimat, uh, a German name. Came out in 2007. Was a small print game from uh, the publisher had their own. Uh, the, the, the the designer had his own publishing company called Chili Games, which is a tiny little company that I think they. You know, I'm, this must have been a very small print run, a couple hundred, I would imagine, or so. But in 2008, Capstone Games. Uh, who also did Pipeline with their first original game. Um, Capstone was known mostly for uh, taking games, lesser known games and republishing them and giving them sort of nicer components and updating stuff and just getting to the mass market. Uh, and so they, they kickstarted uh, the estates in 2018. It raised $75,000. And um, I actually missed that Kickstarter, but on the Pipeline's pre-order, I was able to get in on the late backing on that and add a copy of the estates to mine. And I will say right now, um, I hate to do this, but, uh, but the estates is almost impossible to get right now. Is it? Yeah. So I I hate, uh, reviewing a game that you most likely can't get your hands on. This is a 30 to $40 game that you'll be spending a hundred, $200 on right now, unfortunately, just because it's in between prints. Um, it will be reprinted again. It just might be a little bit, but, um, you know, a lot of people backed it, especially with Pipeline. I know a lot of people that got it along with that. So you might be able to find somebody in your area who has one and try it. Um, but yeah, either way, uh, let's talk about the estate. So what is the estates, Paul? 
Well, the estates is you're basically what a uh, uh, a real estate. Oh, so, uh, okay, let me let me. I'll read the. Do you want to read us the little? Uh, I, I blurb? Actually don't have it in front of me. Well, oh, you well, don't have it in front of you. Okay, I can read it. Well, there's a little blurb. So the city council recently approved the zoning map for a new urban development, the estates, featuring high end infrastructure and a modern atmosphere for its citizens. Soon after, the banks awarded millions of dollars in loans to six real estate investment firms to help develop this new area. The zoning map for the estates calls for two rows of four buildings each, located between the river and Main Street. The meadows on the other sides of the river are to remain a recreational area for the city. But with the hopes of larger profits, investors and building tycoons entirely ignore the city council's demands and begin developing three rows of buildings instead. The mayor catches wind of potential for profit and begins planning a new mansion in the estate. This is so much more <laughs> theme than anyone's ever read into it. The estates, which would double the value of one of the building rows. Ah. With some sketchy building permits, investors begin developing on the other side of the river beyond the des- designated building zone. However, the city council takes rigorous steps to put an end to the racketeering with an ultimatum. As soon as the first two rows are completed, the buildings in the uncompleted row will be torn down, resulting in a huge loss for all who invested dun, dun, there. Dun. At the end of the day, the investor with the highest value buildings will come out on top. That is that is a lot of thought gone into a game that it basically has it, no theme. Well, it's, it's a knife fight, right? Like you know, Yeah, but it could also totally just be an abstract game. Absolutely. And yeah, I think the theme I, is uh, nice and the art is gorgeous. I will say I love the artwork on this game. I think it's beautiful, uh, but it is superfluous. I think the art is actually deceptive because it makes it seem like a nice fun. Oh, okay. yeah. No, I love it. It's almost like root in the sense that like, oh, this is fun. Let's stab <laughs> each other. Yeah. Like, what? The, oh, my. There's a knife in my neck. No. So, so basically, the game is simple. There are a few components. Like uh, there's the board and then there are these blocks uh, that represent like floors of buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the original version, they were dice. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And basically, these blocks are worth a number of points. And so you can uh, basically you, you lay a block down, and then you have to put a uh, block that is of a lower value on top of that block. Right. The real uh, the real issue is that only the top block counts as far as whose ownership of that. Yeah. Every other you you own every block beneath yours if you are the top block. Exactly. And so like if Matt has a six and I have a one and we've it's it's a a, a six five four three two one that building is mine. Yeah. And so that then uh, you get all the points or yeah. lose all the points. <laughs> so th- this is the meanest game I own. I, I I own a couple hundred games. I've owned many hundreds beyond that mm-hmm. in the past. This is the meanest game I've ever owned. This is a game that I would not play with people who are opposed to potentially take that negative player experiences. Mm -hmm. This game is boiled down in its essence to a take that game for the most part. The main, uh, this is also um, a pure auction game. Yes. I think I said in the episode last week, if there was a Hunger Games type (laughs) reality that we are all thrust into in which... Uh, bidding for things decided your fate. This would be the game you would play to train to survive. This is absolutely true. Like I have a love hate relationship about this game. Everybody does. You, everyone who has I, I played think, this game should love it and hate it. I think Tom probably really loves it because I think Tom is probably the the best uh, bidder in our group right, right now. Uh, but like I am not the best bidder by far. So and, you said this game is boiled down to just to, to tell tell me what you think this game really is boiled down to. Like. Ultimately, this game is boiled down to your ability to, uh, what's the word? It's uh, evaluate the situation, assess. That it, basically, yep. uh, you can, a, a component comes for auction. You decide how much that's worth to you personally. Right. So or let me just back up for people for a little bit. So at the beginning of your turn, you have 24 
building blocks to choose from, but you don't, you actually have six, you have three at one end and three at the mm -hmm. other. And then you have a bunch of special things to choose from as yep. well. And your, t your, what your first thing you do is you choose what you are putting up for auction and then tell people what happens. And then, uh, basically in clockwise, clockwise, mm -hmm. right? clockwise mm -hmm. order, like every person bids, uh, and basically the highest bid, the person who, uh, uh it's age of steam rules. You get one bid. Exactly. If you pass your out. And, and the person who, uh, the highest bid, basically the person puts up for auction, gets the choice to either get paid that or match that. Right. And so ultimately you're, you're assessing how much is this piece worth? It, uh, positive for me or if you get it negative for someone else. Yeah. And yeah, because you can. So and, and also there are six companies, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of 18xx train line companies. And you 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 become the permanent owner of that company when you buy the first block associated with a company. So company blocks are different colors. Companies are those six different colors. The first person to buy a block of that color to win the auction of it becomes that company for the rest of the game. And, and that can be good and or bad. Sure. Because like, you know, the more companies you have, the more ability you have to get potential points, but you are now more vulnerable to other people. As I learned in my game last <laughs> night, and I, I tried to own all the companies. And you, you own four of them, and, and basically uh, Alfred and I wound up just beating you up because of it. Yeah, you just, yeah I, it, was, it was a bad play in a three-player game. Maybe yeah. a great play in a higher level, but I don't who, know. Who knows? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but like ultimately, the, if you can distill all the, the, the game state into one number, mm -hmm. like how much money this is worth, Right. And so if someone or how much it's worth to, yeah, to the other person, exactly, because, because so, so this is an important thing to distinction. So you, you put forward a thing, right? Whether it's a block or one of the special tokens that we'll get into, you put them forward and the person next to you says a number or passes the person beyond that says a number of passes. Let's say the person left to me says four the person next to them says five. Then it comes back to me. I decide right now I have all the, the person who put the block forward is the last to bid mm -hmm. and they have the biggest, they have the, the most interesting decisions to make. They decide if the last bid is five, do I want to pay $5 and win it? Or do I want to take $5 from that person and they want it? So your only way of making money in the game is to be the highest bidder on an auction that does not win it. Exactly. And so often you are trying to pick, do I want to win this or do I, am I pick usually what you're actually doing? Cause on your turn, it's usually the way to make money. And so that's the time to get paid. You want to pick something, you know, somebody else needs. Absolutely. Like, like yesterday when we were playing, I picked, you know, uh, things that I thought people should need. And if they undervalued it, I just bought it and I punished them for not paying enough. That's right. That's and what you have to do. Yeah. You have to punish people for not paying for not bidding correctly. And so, you know, that's basically the game, you know, this is worth something, your ability to assess how much it's truly worth is going to reward you. Yep. you know, uh, and if I can assess better than you, probably I'm going to win. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, the way I say it is like, this game is like burpees for me. That's so work, work out burpees, which is, everybody hates burpees. Yes, you know, like push up, jump, push, no. Yeah, like, horrible. I, I, you know, I'm not CrossFit, you know, so. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, because I don't like, Bidding because I'm not very good at it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like, actually assess. Situations. There's a lot of math going on. Like, and the hardest thing about this game is every single round you are making a decision. Yeah, constant. That's all you're doing. Exactly. This game is bidding. There's one thing happening in this game. Bidding. That's it. That's the whole game. But more than that, like every single round, like, even if it's not your turn, you have to do that analysis. Right. And I think that's. Uh, I don't know if it's unique, but it's definitely uh, a brain burner in that regard. Cause, yeah. Because you're always evaluating the, the board state. It's a very tactical game. Yeah. You always have to do these things, and it, it just makes me go, ah, you know, I I don't want to spend my energy 
doing this because I'm just not that good. It's like, it's just shame. You know, yeah. I feel like I should, I should be better at this. <laughs> yeah. No, this has a similar negative play experience that, that we just talked about, uh, in Avalon, but it's much faster and it's, it's, it's much harder to suss out really what you did wrong or right because there's exactly. so many micro decisions happening at all times. And it can, and it can shift wildly. Yeah. You know, like, uh, the, the thing about this game that I find, uh, that to make the, the most pleasurable game experience is like if everyone is invested. If you have someone yeah. who isn't really thinking clearly, right? Like that person probably won't win, but they'll probably inadvertently king make. Right. So let, let's we'll get into that in a second. Let me just give people a little bit of an overview, just for people who don't know the game very well. So in the states, you have a stack of checks, okay? And at the beginning of the game, everybody $12 gets twelve checks. Each check is worth $1 million. And the Kickstarter has a nice little thing where some of the high, the people who paid more on Kickstarter got, got to have their names written on the checks and their signatures or whatever. So every check has uh, $1 million on it. But you, you basically have 12 $1 million pieces of paper at the beginning of the game. And that's it. It is a closed economy. So mm-hmm. it is that is all the money that's going to be in the game is how many players uh, times 12. And on your turn, you can hide $1 million under the board if you want. That is saying that is one point at the end of the game guaranteed yep. for you. At the end of the game, you will get you know points plus money hidden under the board, and that's it. Money in hand is worth nothing. So at the beginning of your turn, you can tuck one. Then there are going to be 36 cubes, of which you only play with 24 in each game. So you pull them from a random bag. 24 cubes are going to be in the game. The cubes are the six different colors of the six different companies, ranging between values of one and six. There's one of each. Uh, you will then make a three by eight grid. Uh, of those cubes. So you'll have 24 cubes. And you also are going to have some special tokens. So let's talk about those special tokens. So there are 12 roof tiles ranging between one and six. There are two of each. Uh, Those are going to all be put on the table face down. And then you're going to have five special tokens. Uh, Three that will extend or uh, unextend. What am I saying? Diminish, uh, shorten the length of a row. Uh, one that will double the value or the negative value the, of every of, of the row that it's on, and one that's an X that removes a lengthener or a uh, diminisher or sure, sure. <laughs> a like shortener. Uh, so the board you're actually playing on. So every time you win a cube, you're going to place it on this little board. You must place it. On you the must board. place it on the board. Yeah, you cannot decide not to. Uh, it is a three by four grid uh, of places that you can put cubes, and then beyond that, there's a river, and there's another three by six grid. So the theoretical maximum of a row could go all the way to 10. Uh, but, but all you need to do in order to end the game, the end game condition is two finished rows. There are three possible roads, two finished. So what does finished mean? All the way to the river or to the extender if it's mm-hmm. there or to the shortener if it's there. Yep. And uh, all that you need to have a finished building on that row is a building with a roof doesn't matter how tall the building is. It can be the maximum of six or the minimum of one. If there's a roof on it, the building is finished. Once there are two finished rows, meaning all buildings have roofs, and it goes either to the river or to the extender. If there's an extender there, the game ends. And the person with the top cube in every finished building will get points. Or negative uh, points. Right. So if, if it's a finished row, they'll get points for all the cubes in that building, plus the value of the roof ranging from one to six. And uh, if it is, and all the cubes, so if there, so let's say you, I mean, I've never seen this, but if you had a building that went all the way from six to one, so you would count all of them. If, if, as long as yours one is there, you get all the points beneath, you know, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then whatever the value of the roof is between one and six, um, then that scores. So any unfinished rows though are negative points. And there is the mayor hat. Uh, and the mayor hat is a little piece that can be auctioned as well. 
and that will double the value of a row. So if it's on a completed row, it will double it positively. If it's on an incomplete row, it will double it negatively. You then lose, so at the end of the game, you lose points for everything that you are the, on the, you know, the owner of. So once again, if you're the top cube, it's yours. <laughs> and now you've lost all the points for every cube beneath you. Uh, and the roof tile, if there's one there as well. And uh, so in most games, I would say in most games, the game ends because we've run out of roof tiles. Yeah. So that's the only other way the game ends. When there cannot be a legal auction, when you cannot have an auction that would lead to a piece being placed on the board, meaning there's no more roofs left. And if there's no more roof left, you automatically end because no more buildings can be completed. But sometimes there just actually isn't a legal place for a block either or a roof. So potentially the game would end there. Yeah, like if you use a lot of diminishers. Right. I've found that happens often. And here's why. Because the diminishers are the extenders. So... There are three things, three special things that can go up for sale. Well, four, including the X. Uh, they have a one, two, or three written on them, and they extend past the river. So remember, usually a row will complete when it hits the river. The extender or shortener will change that rule. So now what once could be a finished row with four, let's say you and one other person are working together to build this row. You're putting roofs on everything, and somebody drops the three extender on it, extending it three more blocks, and now you need three more completed buildings. So not just... Cubes, the cubes and roofs, that's, and right. that's a lot of work. And usually if the, whatever the three is on, that ain't finishing. <laughs> so now you have to look at that and go, all these uh, are negative. How, yeah, all these are negative. <laughs> do I have a chance at winning? So one thing you can do is there's an X tile. The X tile can erase an extender, just boom, out of the game, gone. Or other extenders can shorten or extend it. So now you have a three, somebody else could add a two to make it five. Somebody else could add a one to make it six, making the three radical mm -hmm. maximum of 10 or you could decide to bring it closer too. Somebody puts the three on it, you put the two to move it two closer. Now you only have to build one extra building and roof. Uh, and that is all the rules of the game. So uh, the first person, as we said before, the first person to buy a cube owns a company forever. Top buildings, uh, top blocks on all buildings, whether finished or unfinished at the end of the game, will score all points for that one person who owns that company. Um, so let's talk about how the game often plays. There is often in a five-player game, which is, I, I'm going to say that's our favorite way to play it with a maximum player Definitely. count. Although I've heard it plays great at two. It's a very interesting really? um, sort of Just uh, I cut, you choose kind of game. Mm -hmm. uh, the three-player game I thought was interesting, but uh, also deadly. Uh, four <laughs> is fine. Five is great. Yeah. Um, because in five, there are six companies, right? And in a five-player game, I, I, will, I will say there's almost always one person with no companies. So how can you win if there's no companies? Well, by every single person in the game having more negative points than you. Yep. If you have no companies, you will not go negative. You cannot go negative. Uh, right. But, but, you know, but you can't go positive either. We've had games... Well, you, you, can, you can talk. We've had many games where every player <clears throat> was negative and the winner had the least negative points. So if, if you do not have a company, your goal of the game is to have zero rows finish. A absolutely. That's your only chance of winning, unless you're tucking. tucking. But then, you know, you, uh, you could tuck. You, you want the game to go very long. You tuck every round. At the end of the game, you have the most points tucked, and everybody else has negative. That's your strategy. But I, that's a tough game, because you have, you have, like, you know, everybody's good guys, and you have one villain trying to, like, destroy everybody's game. Oh, you mean, you know, <laughs> like, like, it's almost like you have to play a certain meta to, to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, about your experiences playing, because I find you've often played that role. So tell us <laughs> how it goes and, and, and what that play experience is like. Well, for me, like, uh, like we played this game yesterday, 
And I've been thinking about the game, and I think like the 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 piece that really hurts the negative, you know, the anti-player, the the person who wants to hurt everyone else, yep. is the X, right? So the eraser, right? And the so, one that will get rid of an extender or a shortener. So I was first player yesterday, and I go, you know what? We're gonna play all in pen. There's 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 right. no pencil mark here. Yep. So I, I just I bid the I, I put the X up for auction. Matt goes like, I'm not gonna pay for that. Right. And uh, Alfred goes, I'm not gonna pay for that. Boom. Now, now we're playing a game of right. So you, you, the special tiles do not have to be placed, other than I believe the mayor does. But so the X or the three extenders, instead of placing them, you could just decide this is out of the game. Absolutely. So obviously, if the X comes out first, there's nothing for it to do, so it just disappears from the game. And why would anyone bid for that? Right. And nobody who would ever pay a dollar for it because there are no decisions to be made exactly. once you win it. And then when it came back to me, I put the three extender on for for bid. Yeah. And you know and. People only had like two blocks up there. Well, like there's plenty of time to adjust, right. you know, or at least that, I'm playing our meta. Like you right. know that like people are going, oh well. Then I, I make I make their uh, one road to be a, a, a extended by three. And right. So this is Death Alley. Right. You know everyone who comes here is going to uh, die. And I was trying. You were trying the strategy of like make people have to pay for these things. Exactly. I was trying the strategy of I'm not going to pay for anything until I really until I know I need it. Exactly. And that didn't work. <laughs> and then round when it came back to me again, I did the same thing for number two. I didn't buy any like you know companies until maybe round five, right? And I, one with the least amount of of tiles yeah. of, of blocks. And so every, after those things were uh, put in place, what I wound up doing was I basically go, "Here is your tile, uh, your, your block, Matt. Would you like to pay for this, mm-hmm. or or would you like me to?" And like Matt kept on, oh, and Alfred too. Like they kept on lowballing me. I go, like, yeah. Mm. And yeah. so I just put it in what would be the negative row. And since there's no way to erase that negative row, like yeah. uh, I think eventually around like maybe the midpoint of the game, people saw what I was doing, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. It's, I mean that. So here's an interesting thing I've learned. So to me, I'm just gonna say right now, I rate this game a nine point five. Yeah. I think for what it attempts to do, it is absolutely near perfect my minus five i give it my minus 0.5 i give it is that there is often a game state at the end of the game where there are no choices left to be made yes and it is just math exactly and it is okay if this is bought there's only one place it can go if this is bought there's only one place it can go if this is bought there's only one place to go and i've noticed there are not all games but some and not the majority of games even end in Somebody just going, all right, everybody just pause. We can math out how the next exactly. five rounds go. Mm-hmm. There are no choices to be made here, and we will fi- figure out the winner. It's not, it doesn't, it's not game-breaking at all. It's just it's, it's, it, it's that minus 0.5 to me that for making it a, a perfect 10, guys. I mean, I, I honestly think it's, this is close to a perfect board game because it, what it attempts to do, it does perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, unlike even Avalon, like Avalon will make you a better liar. Yeah, you know this game will will have, but like there's there not, aren't that many games that require yeah. you to be alive. This game, there are tons of bidding games. Yeah, and if you were to get good at this game, it it would really spread to all yeah. your games. You would really become a better gamer because uh, this of is, this game. That's right. So that's and I think much like Avalon, I think this is this is like going to the this is board game gym. Yeah, exactly. This is going to the board game gym. Yeah. I mean, this will this will train you i mean you will become a better age of steam player you will become a better 18xx player you will become any you know a better brass player any brutal economic game you will become better at because of your 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 strengthening of the board state evaluation muscle muscle exactly, exactly. you know and, and I, I love it because of, I, I hate it because i'm not naturally strong at this 
And you know, I don't, it's like working out. Like you don't want to mm -hmm. go work out. Like you know, I'd rather just play something I'm good at and or have fun with. But like, yeah. if you really want to get good at this mechanic, like mm -hmm. you know, like the bidding and assessment, I think this is. I, I don't know of another game that is as quick as concentrated as yeah. this to, to no this is pure down to like distilled pure solid board game and we've played this maybe for like what maybe a month now mm -hmm. a month and a half couple months and, maybe. and we haven't scratched the surface no like, you know, that, that's another thing about this game yeah it, i mean it, it is really deep. deep yeah the first few times i played this game i went i can't even imagine the depth of this game <laughs> like the because like like i said like at the at the end of the game you can't even retrace your steps and figure out like every move is a ripple that then ex that warps another ripple in the pond sure. and by the end it's just this crazy landscape you can't even really imagine like what what decisions led you to the place you're in because there's so many micro decisions happening at all and times. it's so tactical it changes all the time and i think for us like we haven't in our group we haven't found a steady state a steady state meta yet yeah, I, I yeah, think no. I, I think that's that's why that's it's right so, too. We don't we can't even say like, well, this is too strong. Like like yesterday, I tried the uh, the anti chaos, uh, the chaos or whatever the, the the what would what would be thematically who would be the guy who is trying to get everyone to go negative? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like the Joker. I mean, yeah, it's, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Joker. Uh, it was the first time I did it successfully. Mm -hmm. Where, uh, but like, when we play five player, or if people see it coming, you can mitigate that. Yeah. You could definitely sure, yeah. And, and so I haven't changed the meta. I've just put a wrinkle in it. Well, yeah. I haven't solved the meta. Yeah. You know, I just put a wrinkle that now people have to put into the the, the, the process. Well, I, I think so. It's uh, one of my one of my strategy points on this game is that the more I play, the more I realize if you are going to be there's two types of people in this game, right? There's the Joker mm -hmm. and then the investor. Yep. Right. If you are decide if you decide to become an investor and you decide by just be having a company and by by buying one of the blocks. You are then one of your game victory conditions is to make sure there are no jokers in the game. You are incentivized to make other people uh, get into the to have sure. skin in the game. You exactly. need everyone to have skin in the game. And you want the most people to have skin in your game in your rows that you're invested in. Because the more people that are involved in those rows, the worst thing you can do is to have is to build a uh, take a six. And so there are three spots on the board. Where that have sand on the bottom mm -hmm. of them. So thematically, it's like they, they can't take heavy buildings, and so they can only hold one brick. The worst play you can do, turn one, is to buy a six and put it on the sand spot. There is one sand spot that's at the very front. Mm -hmm. that's the, that's, you're, you're done. You, you've lost the game if you do that because <laughs> no one is incentivized to help join that row. You already have the strongest building in that row. You're already there. You're already getting six points. Anybody else who builds something else is going to go, I'm not coming in that row. Yeah, it's Death Alley. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, because like, you, you, you know, no, no, not, nobody's incentivized to help you. You've already scored six points. But if you put a six somewhere else, uh, I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't pay very much for that six because the odds are it won't end up yours. But you just plop it down. You go like, hey, guys, here's a row. We can join friends. in. Yeah. And also friends. you can go on top of my thing, yeah. you know? All right. So now we're, you know, we've done a little work here together. Mm -hmm. You want friends, you want people to have skin in the game. You want people who are going to help rush roofs because roofs are the limited resource of the game. There are only 12 in the entire game and you know, you potentially need a minimum of eight. So you can only, only four roofs can go to the wrong row <laughs> in the <laughs> whole game or else none of your rows will score most likely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's rough. Like, you know, it's, uh, I feel that, in the end, like when we find our steady state, we'll find it'll be some form of like, I don't want to say a semi co-op, mm -hmm. but like the obvious good move for you game theory wise is probably the wrong thing for the steady state. Yeah. You know, I, I think, 
I think people you want people to be helping each other and in that fog, like you know, come out the, the winner. Yeah. You know, so so basically Jesse's Catan negotiating strategy would probably be not mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. No, that is true. You do not if you're acting like you know, uh, no, nobody help me. Don't bother me. I'm going to win this. You know, if you're like taking the maverick rogue strategy in this, people will go, okay, good luck. You're going to need some friends here. (laughs) Uh, you should want me to want to help you. That's right. And so it's very interesting. Like, you know, it's right now, like I feel the only thing that we don't know in the game, like it's all information is public ish, uh, except for the roofs. That's the only thing that's hidden. Yeah. Yeah. So roofs are, uh, face down so you don't know the values of them you pick one you randomly flip it over and sometimes it's a six sometimes it's a one the thing that's hardest for me is like you can play this game like oh i'm just having beer and pretzels and we're just kind of right but there i guess there, i say in each situation every time that it comes to you there is a right move there is like that's like it. a mathematical right move and it and when you the bid comes around there is a right bid for you to make. Right. Well, tell me what you were, you were saying about AI last night. Like, yeah, I was thinking, like, uh, there was a talk about, uh, was it an article? It was an article, of, uh, like, I think some people at MIT uh, created this uh, AI to play Avalon. And, you know, I, I, I watched some videos about this, and I was going, like, oh, like, you know, th- they've really taken the most simplest form. But it was really interesting because uh, the AI, if it was to play only itself, like, you add a, a human player, the the win rate goes down by like 10%. Mm. And if you uh, add an AI to like a, a group of humans, All human, yeah. uh, the win percentage goes up, up by 10. So like there's a certain amount of value. The win for whichever team, the good or bad team. Exactly. Yeah. Like I feel like with the estates, like, you know, this would be in the realm of say AlphaGo, where mm. like, you know, like there, it can evaluate almost everything. Tactically, it can make a, uh, uh, this is the best piece to come out right now. This is how much this piece yeah. is worth. And if it, if people bid lower than that, I will buy it. If people bid higher than that, I come out ahead. You know, it would be fascinating to watch five AI play against each be, other. It would be. It'd be game. huge. It would be. I would. I would. It'd be like watching the Super Bowl. I mm-hmm. would just get like beer and pizza. Absolutely. I would, I would watch that on. I would watch like a two-hour stream of that. Like, it, it would be so fascinating to see what choices it would make. It'd be like, it just picked the two blue. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know what was really interesting is that the only thing that really. I don't, I, I don't see how to program quite yet yeah. is basically what piece to auction. Yeah. Because like when it comes to you and like someone gives you a choice, it's deterministic. Like there's going to be a number where, you know, this is worth this, like kind of mm-hmm. like, like a chess program. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when you're playing a chess, it goes like, oh, here's, here's how much this is worth. Here's the board state and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not sure how to go like, oh, this is time for a, a, a time for a hat. It's time for an extender. It's time for a. Well, it a, depends on what numbers are out, right? Because absolutely. there's a different distribution of numbers and colors every absolutely. time. So, uh, if there is, you know, I, I think like mid-range numbers are the most valuable mm-hmm. because they, of course, have the least amount of things that can go on top of them while scoring the most amount of points. Sure. Um, but it totally depends. I mean, if there are a lot of ones out. Mm-hmm. Then, if, then anything other than a one becomes dangerous. Yeah, and, and but if there is one one out and it's in the middle of the stack and you might not even get to it, that's, then twos are super strong. Yeah, no, like like there is a there is a distribution of the blocks, and the more center it is, the more difficult it is to get. Right. So like because you have to work your way in, you can only put something for auction from the edges of the eight by twenty three, uh, eight by three uh, grid of twenty four blocks. 
Yeah, but like it's all, you know, it's all this mathable thing. Yeah. You know, and so I, I'd be really interested to see how an AI does Everything it. has a correct valuation. Exactly. That's that's right. what's that, that's what makes it hard for people who want to play competitive because right. like I could actually spend I could spend two seconds going like ah, two, you right. know, for, for my bid. But I could spend two hours and yeah. go like actually the answer is two. <laughs> that's what that's what I like about this game. I think that, that makes it a little more fun for Avalon for me is that I don't feel like in this game, I can just, if I just want to play the game mm-hmm. and not work too hard, sure. I can still have a great experience. Exactly. And it's still a fun story unfolds mm-hmm. and everybody's laughing and things that go up are funny laughing is a, is a, yeah, is a, or, or upset or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, if I decide to just go like, I'm tired. Like this is a good end of night game, but it's also a good beginning of night game. If you, the more you can put all the energy you want into it and it will give it back to you, or you can put in none and you will get a lot back. I don't feel that way with Avalon. If I don't, if I, if I'm like Avalon requires a base amount of energy, no matter what you have to perform, you have to perform. Exactly. That's it. And this does not require, you could just go, I'm just going to have some fun and, and, you know, just, just see what happens. The caveat of this is like, if, you know, you don't want to be the guy who's really serious and everyone else be casual and vice versa. I don't know. That makes it an interesting game. Yeah. It's not, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not a nightmare. Like, like, I think, I think you'll like, if, if Trey were to play this every, and everyone's casual, if, yeah. And, and he was like really serious. Right. I think he would have a less good time because there'd be there. Yeah. No, it'd be like playing poker with a bunch of people who've never exactly. played poker before. You'd exactly. just be like, well, none of my choices mean anything because nobody's evaluating the board. State. And, so, and so now it's, it's just a, a roll of the dice kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but this is a game also, what, you know what's interesting about this game? I think it's about as deep and complex as any game that I've ever played, but I could teach it to anyone. Yes. No, anyone who's like, I could teach this to someone who has never played a game in their entire lives and they would get it in 30 seconds. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really like, you this, know, the, the, I, literally it's, it's a 30 second teach. It's, it's really excellent in that really. It's, yeah. it's streamlined. Streamlined yeah. in a way that does it cuts down to what it exactly is very yeah. quickly. And and you teach this to anybody, and you instantly see that light bulb go off, where they go, "Oh, this game's messed up." That's right. <laughs> like like it's, it's like bid bid four. Like oh yeah, I've just let's start over. <laughs> yeah, no, this is. I mean, people who have never played games before, you teach this to them, and I've watched them go like the moment they realize this is the meanest game mm-hmm. ever made because everything you do can be undone and everything you do can undo somebody like else. The, the consequence of choices is huge. Yeah. You buy a six. Hey, you spent a lot of money. You got a great cube. I buy a one. I spent nothing. Your six is mine now or <laughs> vice versa. You know I mean? Like it's, there's so many great things there. Or, uh, I just extended your, everybody's row that was doing great. Good luck guys. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I know it's great. Like it, it's too bad. You know, so when you have a chance to buy it, I, I think, we can definitely recommend this game if, if you're that type of game group that can deal with a little knife stabby. This is almost in my top 10 of all time. Me too. Almost. Yeah. It, it is right at the edge. It's in my top 20 guaranteed, like, probably my top 15. Like for me, like it's, it's too new for me to really know because we haven't hit the steady state yet yeah. uh, of, of the meta. So maybe there's something I'm missing, but like it, it's pretty close. It is out of stock right now. There will be a reprint coming because Capstone Games is a successful company and they're wonderful and they will reprint it at some point. Um, That's The Estates. I think it's one of the great games ever made and it came out this year. I think that's a great sign. I mean, the the reprint came out. The original (laughs) game is from 2007. But um, yeah, what a a brilliant and interesting design that's, that's worth anybody who likes games trying at least yeah once. and for 40 bucks you know i mean it's it's really worth it you're gonna yeah. get a lot of uh mileage out of it. oh yeah absolutely um let's move on to our top 10 of the week this is top 10 games that create memories these are games that we think will best facilitate lifelong year-long 
memes in your group, <laughs> jokes, right. yeah, inside jokes, inside jokes, yeah. the thing you say to your friend That's 10 right. years later that makes sense to no one else in the room, but you, both of you know that it's that one moment in the game where he stabbed you in the back and it's still funny to it's you. Still, it's still fresh. Yeah. So we're going to do our top tens. Uh, I put mine in order. I hope you did as well. I did as well, although it's loose. Like, sure, you know, sure, how, sure. How can, it's I spent six hours working on this, Paul. Did you? Oh, that's these, great. That's these great. numbers like, are you're very strict. Very, well, well, well done. Well done. Uh, do you want to start dealer's sure, choice? Sure. Like, actually, I just want to give a little context, please. Like, so uh, for me, like the top ten list was kind of tough for me, mm. like coming up with a with an idea because, you know, I don't have the same uh, breadth of knowledge that say someone like Tom has, you know, yep. as far as games, and I'm not as interesting as say Dimitri. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I was uh, I was really struggling to find a top ten until I, I think you sent me a or sent the whole group a. Uh, I think his name is Scott Westerfeld video about how victory points suck. Yeah, that was the, the name of his uh, like sort of TED-esque talk yeah. at Shucks. Yeah. And it was very interesting because he basically said like uh, victory points, uh, you have this kind of accounting that happens at the end and this accounting takes away from the narrative of the game yeah. uh, and victory conditions are better and you know, that type of thing. And I think for our group, our, our response was like, you have a point, but like it's, it's not all-inclusive like you know like yeah. not all games need to be narrative because like for all of it some games are just like a, an exercise in excellence mm-hmm. i want to build the biggest engine That's i want right. uh the way i describe it is i call it achievement simplification because like we as humans like we have to kind of achieve in this world that we live in uh and the games are i mean not the games but the rules are really vast right. and we don't know all the rules and games are this simplification of uh, of the rules like you know so this is what we focus on and this is why i feel like we we have game brains right we get a dopamine rush off of the simulation of exactly. something that that we already want and so uh I was, you know and that's that's where i lean towards but then i thought more about it and i go but truthfully truthfully like you know the you know the euros try to simplify and make those uh rules fair for that simulation right but really, I can play. I played Agricola a lot, and I can't remember one game of Agricola. Well, that's sort of the thing that sort of led to this, right? I mean, like if we look at our fa- we don't we don't walk around being like, "Yo, remember that time that uh, that you put your worker on that spot right yeah, there, and, exactly. and, you, and you took the occupation card?" Like, <laughs> oh man, yo, remember that time we played Twa and you bought my die and I needed it? Oh man, absolutely. That was, yeah, we don't. That doesn't happen. And so, and I come to realize that, like in the end. Like there is a certain narrative that uh, that creates memories. So mm-hmm. it's like you know you play games for two reasons. You you play games to uh, pass the time, and and you know and you play games for those memories as well. And they're not exactly the same games. Yeah. So uh, I thought like oh well like, I I'm a person who really enjoys you know creating these memories between uh, my dear friends. And that's I go, when I know you're most happiest at a table. Is I feel like when I can tell those memories are being created. Exactly. When, it when, is, when there's an inside joke or a future meme exactly. or some kind of thing that we are referencing, I know that in those moments, that's when you have the biggest smile on your it, face. That is absolutely true. And it could be someone, you know, doing something amazing. Yeah. But more likely someone about the table flip. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's most likely somebody breaking. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and so like, you know, so, uh, so this is how I came up with the list. No, it's brilliant. And I, and I actually had a really good time putting together oh, this great. list. Um, and it, it, as, as you would imagine, it made me think of great memories <laughs> or not great memories. Exactly. Uh, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Sure. I'll start. Like I, I think for top 10, like, you know, like number 10 would be, and this is the, the give me kind of thing. Like, uh, like any kind of legacy game, mm. you know, like any kind, like for me, the legacy game I enjoy the most is Seafall. Yeah. Uh, 
And but the problem with legacy, you kind of play it once, and like you know what's going to happen. So for people who don't know, legacy is a series of games wherein you make changes that forever change the state of the game permanently. Yes. Whether it's putting stickers on the board, writing your name on the board, ripping up cards. The most famous is uh, Pandemic Legacy. Mm-hmm. Gloomhaven is a legacy. Yep. Risk Legacy we played. Seafall is sort of a Euro take on Legacy from mm-hmm. Plaid Hat Games. Uh, and, and yeah, tell us why that was sort of your favorite of those. I think for, for me, like what, like it was uh, you, me, Trey, Alfred. Uh, and it, there's this exploration aspect to it. And you're basically going like, oh, I'm going to find out what this, you know, the world of... It's sort of the age of sale is yeah, sort of the yeah. uh, theme of it. And I felt like I was really in the world, which is something like I'm, I'm usually not a person who cares too much about theme as yeah. far as... But like I felt like... Oh, you don't I, need it. I, yes, it, it, the way I describe it is like, if I was going to a restaurant, like ambiance is lower than uh, than quality of food. Yeah, uh, and so this is the ambiance theme is ambiance of the thing. Got it. And, and so I I go like, oh well, this is really I feel invested in this kind of uh, world, and I, I I thought it was really good how how it achieved that. Yeah. You know, I've played Gloomhaven, and people love Gloomhaven, and I think it's great. But for whatever reason, like uh, Seafall is. Hit hit a better spot for me. Yeah, and it's really cheap now. I think. I think it's like you could get it. For, I think they're giving them away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was so, not. It was. It was sort of the first like uh, stumble, and I think it actually was a pretty big stumble in terms not not in terms of them or design or anything, but uh, I think it set back the. I think it stopped the legacy mm-hmm. hotness. Uh, every game must be legacy kind of thing. A little sure, bit. Sure. People went. Oh no no no! It, it, people are a little more picky about their legacy games. Yes, yeah. but but you know, for me, it, it was great playing with the group, and I think. At the price point right now, it's a it's an easy buy if you have. Yeah, it. you have to like Euro games, and you have to like slightly heavy games, and mm-hmm. you have to be down to at least get. We didn't finish it. No, no. But, well, we got. Uh, I think we were two games away, maybe from the end. Exactly. And it seems like a crazy thing to stop at that point. But I, you know what? We know why we stopped. Because I had a baby. Well, that's it was a, right before we had. You know, I, and I and I still resent Strider for that. Yeah, <laughs> as you should, <laughs> as you should. Uh, my number ten. Uh, some of these I've sort of actually all of these I've kind of grouped into categories sure. because I think I think the category is is as important. But I'll always give you my number one here. So here, eighteen XX, uh, brutal economic games. Mm-hmm. I think uh, any game where you can lose the entire game on turn one will facilitate memories. Eighteen <laughs> uh, XX, Age of Steam, or Brass sure, are sure. all uh, hardcore brutal economic games. Wherein uh, if you don't know how to play the game well. Good luck. Uh, you've lost turn one, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny, yes. But it's also, the more experienced you get, the better at it. Better at it. You, you start seeing those potential risks in front of you. You start, you start loving that brutalness of it. And uh, I think you're able to really enjoy... I, I, to me, I, I remember almost all my games of Age of Steam or 18xx or Brass uh, because they're often... Up. I, I got beat up or somebody else got beat up. And it's not, it's, if you love these games, it's not a negative player experience, in my opinion. Um, it's often uh, just funny. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> no, I, no, There's something funny. Tears and laughter. Tears and about laughter. somebody going bankrupt in a game. <laughs> I mean, we've all had it in Monopoly. It's sure, all, you sure. know, it, it's funny. I mean, you know, your little sibling is sobbing and you're, you're laughing and, you know, they're laughing through the tears because it's not a real thing that happened, but yes. it's still, it's like, it's a bad feeling. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, poor. yeah, exactly. So uh, for me, brutal economic games are, are the closest we're going to get to Euros here mm-hmm. in terms of games that create memories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for number nine for me, mm-hmm. uh, this is probably the only Euro on my list mm. and it is uh, Friedrich. 
Yes. Wow. Uh, so uh, tell us about Friedrich. So the Friedrich basically you're playing uh, one of four powers. You're playing like France, uh, Prussia, Russia, or Austria, I believe. And I don't I don't know if you're going to remember the game so much if you're France, Russia. So this is sort of a three player game, right? Three, three to four player. Yeah. Uh, Maria is the three player yeah, only uh, one, right? Four. It's 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 best at four. Right. right and right, sure. Maria is the three player one. The thing that makes it so memorable is like. Uh, if you're playing Prussia, if you're playing Friedrich the Great, you basically are the biggest general. The problem is like three people are playing at you at once, and you're going to remember that. You're right. going <laughs> to remember, hey, I'm, I'm tr- I can beat any one of you, but, can't, but you know, I can't beat all three of you simultaneously. So you're, that decision space that you have to make, yeah. that's, that tension of like, having to deal with, oh, here's Russia. I got to stop them. Oh, man, I can't defeat Russia. I can just stop them. Now I got to go here with France or Austria. It's, it's quite fun. It's also a game where if you know the history behind it and the Definitely. story, it is a very immersive historical experience. Exactly. Uh, all of his games. He did a game called Worsindas Volk that Tom taught me that was very interesting. Uh, Maria is also mm-hmm. obviously uh, the, sort of the three-player version yep, of this. Yep. Um, but yeah, any sort of like very historical uh, recreation where you can go off the rails and like exactly. sort of do a crazy historical what if, I think mm-hmm. those can often create you know yeah. really fun stories that you remember. Yeah, but the... the I, I like I said, like you know, uh, Friedrich. If you're playing Prussia, yeah, you will. You'll definitely remember. If, if you don't, even if you get like rocked, right. you know, you're going to remember that. If you're able to like defend, you're going to remember that. Uh, it's 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 quite good. It's, I, it's very asymmetric. It's it's all asymmetric. Yeah. Like you know, and I I've think, never played Friedrich. Yeah, I, I, let me phrase it. It's asymmetric if you're playing Russia, uh, Prussia. Okay. Uh, so right. I, I think that like you know, you're going to enjoy or hate it. Either way, you're going to remember it. Right. That's awesome. I love it. I'm excited to try that. I yeah. need to play that one of these days. My number nine is Kingdom Death Monster. I don't um, know what that is. Uh, Kingdom Death Monster is a game I'm dying to play with you. It's the, it's the number one game on this list that I, that list that I wish I had played with you. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also, I also put this under the category of campaign games okay. along the lines of Arcadia Quest yep. or Journeys of Middle oh, Earth, Mansions of Madness, mm-hmm. Descent, Imperial Assault, all those. Uh, Kingdom Death Monster is my favorite campaign game easily. Um, because it is built around the idea of almost everything happening in the game being so ridiculously over the top and insane. <laughs> um, that, and, and it's one of those games that even if you've gone through some of the scenarios and seen some of the cards, you are dying to see what happens to other people's faces when you find out. And even to say what happens would spoil things. So, it, But it, this is a... a uh, how's the best way to describe it? It's, it? This is a boss fight the game. Nice. Okay? So all you're doing is boss fights <laughs> and then uh, preparing for the next worst boss fight. <laughs> and this is a game. This is a uh, you will die constantly in this game. So you are throwing bodies at bosses. And that, and, but you're playing these characters. Sure, sure. But you must be prepared to throw your body at the boss. So hopefully just one of you survives. Gotcha, gotcha. And so the play experience of being like, I'm going to do it, guys. <laughs> I think our best chances is if the three of us just die right now. That's right. And you just Rush. pray you roll a one <laughs> and survive just so that we get the last hit point in. And then, you know, but so but that when, when your character dies, you go back to your uh, your community, your, mm-hmm. your, your little village you've built. And part of the game is uh, you're really the whole game is a cooperative village simulation. Mm hmm where you're, you're birthing people and then sending them out to die. Oh, great, great. Like, you know, 
there's nothing you know more fun than that right <laughs> but every time you create new people you do die rolls on them and you do die rolls on their mental health on oh, their physical abilities great. all that's these great. things so that's you great. create like psychopath you literally create psychopaths oh. you actually have cards say so you are a sociopath you might stab your own person in your oh, group sure, sure. you steal like you know like and the stronger they are often the more sort of weaknesses they have sure. mentally and things no, no, and no, like no. So many funny stories come out of it, but also like, it's just also things like when you stab the monster and you, uh, you pull a card to see where you hit it. And you know, on the opening monster, you can stab it in the penis and, uh, that will be funny every time, every time, especially when you crit on it and take his penis. Wow. Which is actually wow. a thing that can happen. You can take the lion's testicles and penis and use them to make a hat. Back at your village. This is a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a no, certain type of game. It is an X-rated game. Oh. It is highly uh, graphic, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of uh, violence and nudity, um, and in terms of awful things that happen. I mean, just like terrifying, horrible things happen to your group, and they are graphic and upsetting, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, there's also a level of like sort of death metal, like, you know, this is a little over the top and silly on purpose. It feels a little, it sounds like a little bit like uh, the feeling of like Cards Against Humanity kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you were to take that in and I mean, it, it's the closest I've gotten to D&D in a campaign game. Gotcha. It's the cool. dream of D&D as a campaign, as a DMless awesome. campaign game. It's also a $300 game. Oh, well then that's, that's outside yeah. of my, it's outside budget. of most people's. And I, um, I was lucky enough to get a copy a while ago. You can still get them. It's $300 board, $300 game and expansions are about a hundred dollars each. Yes. It is, it is one of the most expensive games you will ever play. But, um, if it is right for your group, it is a near perfect experience. Awesome. Awesome. I see. So we're, we're number eight now. Yep. Uh, I pick a, a classic for our group is Eclipse. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, waiting on 2.0, never going to get it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, like I think 4X is, space exploration, yep, dice rolling, territory creation. And yep. like, it has all classic the, 4X. Yeah. Classic 4X. And, you know, ultimately it, I have really fond memories when we were figuring out this game. Yeah. Like, I remember, uh, there was a time when, when we first played this game, uh, I, I was playing a race that would expand Tom was trying to get to me. He couldn't get to me. He asked Dimitri to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Dimitri goes, no, I'm going to work on my thing. And Tom just got pissed at Dimitri. He just, you know, I wouldn't say yelled, but he yelled at right. Dimitri. And in the end, Dimitri won. And it, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just so funny to, to, to basically. And that win. happened at a charity event that it, I had yeah, thrown, right? a it, nice charity. For someone with it, cancer, I believe. Yeah, you know, a and, board game charity event that I held. <laughs> Uh, and there, it devolved into two of my friends screaming at each other. It, it was uh, it was it was great to watch. But like ultimately, if you can just divorce your need to win a little bit and yeah. and just go in with this sense of like, oh, I'm gonna try to build this armada, conquer a bunch of space, blah blah blah. It it, it play, it's a four X game, right. you know. But for four X games, like yeah. I, I with asymmetrical powers, yeah, much exactly. like Gaia Project. Yeah. It, it's a little fiddly with the mm-hmm. with the what you know all the economies and stuff like that, yep. and there's a lot of luck involved. Uh, but it plays with this theme very well. Yep. I think. I think, and if you can just get into that space, like you know, then there you go. Like you're going to get some stories out of that. Yeah. I remember there was a time when I played that, and Tom, you know, Tom played uh, this group where uh, the, the plants again, Planta. And he, he, he had a cognitive leap where mm-hmm. he goes like, oh, their ships aren't weak. They're just limited. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but he, he'd made this leap before anyone else did. And he just like 
slashed through my empire. <laughs> like I could not stop him. Everyone else is just watching me going like, mm, yeah. Oh, good luck. Yeah, like if I die, it's like the hunger games. Like if I burn, you burn. <laughs> <laughs> and only get stronger. That's right. He just, he just, he just devastated me. And I, it's one of my fondest memories of that game. Oh, that's awesome. Being, being beaten up by that. Well, I really anyway. hope, I will hope we get 2.0 one of these days. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, my number eight is War of the Ring. Um, oh, yes. I'll also put this in a category of giant, grand, epic, two-player-only games, uh, which I would also add Twilight Struggle and Star Wars Rebellion to those. Mm -hmm. I think you can have this memory-creating experience with any of those three games, uh, but War of the Ring is my favorite uh, thematic two-player game. It is a three-hour-plus-long game. It is only two-player. One person takes the armies of Sauron. One person takes the free folk of Middle-earth. And you. it is the closest I've ever come to actually seeing somebody turn a book into a game. The, you whole, that. the whole book is there. Mm -hmm. You play through the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, it, but it often you often, much like in great historical games, you can go, what if we don't go to Mordor? And it creates such amazing, hilarious storylines. It's so, but it's also there is dice in the game, so there are exciting roles of like you know uh, Frodo trying to not get turned towards the eye. Sure, sure. And you know, but it, it it's just it creates stories. If you have the right person for it, um, of which there are not many out there in mm -hmm. terms of finding somebody who's down to play a three-hour three hour game at least ten times. I don't think you can get the game in less than 10 plays. It's that deep of a game. Would this be a couple's game? A very special couple. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I mean, my, my wife, I mean, look, my child's name is Strider. <laughs> we took our honeymoon to New Zealand to go on a Lord of the Rings get mm. tour. I would not play this game with her. And, <laughs> and I don't know a person who loves Lord of the Rings more than my wife. And I don't, I think she would just, that she would glaze over at the teach. Gotcha. Uh, but yes, a very special couple would love to play a three hour long you know, near perfect uh, reimplementation yeah. Yeah, of, of the Lord of the Rings games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for like word number, we're at uh, seven. Seven. Uh, my seventh game is Ricochet Robots. Yes. Uh, Ricochet Robots. game played in total silence. That's right. And, and so basically, if you don't know Ricochet Robots, you're, uh, there, there's a board, there's a bunch of tokens on the board, and there are five robots that basically move and they don't stop moving until they hit a wall or another robot. Right. And the goal is basically to get a certain robot to a certain token uh, to get to pick up that token. So like it requires a number of moves. And the great thing about this game is it can play as many people as can see the board. You know, uh, it's just you're doing you're not actually touching the pieces. You just do it in your head. You're doing it in your head and trying to figure out the shortest possible route. And the thing that makes this game fun, there's two things. Like, you know, this is, uh, it has a, a real-time tension to it. Like, you have to do this in real, you're racing against everyone else. Uh, which is, you know, some people like that sort of tension, some people don't. But more than that, like, you know, I feel that uh, it's a great game because even when you don't get it, like, when you getting to watch someone's excellence is rewarding. Mm -hmm. And so, like, for me, like, one of my favorite memories of it was, like, I was playing this with my nephew and, and Tom and and my nephew just casually one time goes uh, 16. And that's a huge amount of moves. Like you yeah. have to move 16 times to get to the, and it's huge. Yeah. And I go like, 
dude, you're like 13. You do not have a 16. <laughs> and, and, he, and he shows it. I was like, bow, bow. I was like, wow. And I was just so happy. Like, you know, I was like, well done, sir. Well done. You are now a man. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think it's great for families. Yeah. Because like you, you, you're all playing uh, and you're all kind of rooting for each other and not rooting for each other as well. So yeah. I, I think that creates a lot of uh, opportunities for happiness. Yeah. I love that. My number seven is legacy games as well. I'm going to go with Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. Uh, I think Gloomhaven is the most apt to make memories in that it is sort of an RPG feel where you're going to be bonded with these characters and you're going to go on crazy adventures together. Um, the legacy to me is not the most important part of it, although I think it, it technically is one, although mm-hmm. you are changing the board game. But it's such a long campaign sure. that it's more like a system mm-hmm. that you own, that you bring out and play when you want to. It doesn't always have to be with the same group. Um, and I think there's also fun stories to be had with like oh that tom played that character for a few months but he doesn't like the game anymore you're taking it over uh he's really strong he's good at the you know there's some fun stories and like taking over other people's characters um i just think it's impossible to play gloomhaven and not create stories out of it i, th- I think Absolutely. anybody who owns it probably has one or two great stories from gameplay experiences playing it Absolutely. And, and it'd be crazy to have a list without it on it i i definitely feel the same and i'm glad you put it because i didn't <laughs> uh for my number six yep. six uh Battlestar galactica yep you know like uh I'm a person who likes uh, what you call social deduction games. Mm-hmm. This one changed change it all with the uh, mid-game trader aspect, where yeah. basically you're going off, uh, you're playing, you think you're one thing, and then uh, middle of the game, oh, oh, actually, you're a bad guy. And it's, it's done in such seamless way that it's, uh, when we first saw it, we were like fascinated with it. Yeah. It, it, it was like, crazy amazing. it was my entry point yeah it was the first modern board game i ever played and uh you know like, like right now like there's an aspect of it where the meta has kind of destroyed its uh it's uh i don't say utility but like you know it's goodness because like now you kind of well I'm, if i'm human i'm gonna kind of like slow play the uh the what you call it the the end game uh condition until the uh, until the second spy is released, and if I, if I'm the second spy, I'll try to destroy, and uh, if I'm good, I'll, I'll race towards the end. That I feel like that has hurt it because mm-hmm. you, you don't this this game hurts it is hurt by the meta. Yeah, like you know, if you want to win this game, uh, there's a way to play to win, but it, it kind of hurts the spirit of the game. But you know, I have you know when this was the first deduction game I played with, like. Uh, my group and uh, I just had there was one moment where I was a bad guy I knew I was a bad guy Tom gets to look at my loyalty card he looks at my loyalty card and he goes I am good yeah and I was going like I know something we know something everyone else is toast (laughs) and it was just so it was just it was like oh my god I know what this game is now it was so you know and there was another time where you know, not to say that this is a common theme w- with our group, but, you know, Dimitri had a choice to make. It was either trust me or trust Tom. <laughs> Tom was on the edge. He was on the edge of, like, you know, of going too far. Like, you know, he was like, you stupid, like, you know, do not pick Paul. I swear, you're going to regret this. You're going to regret this. And Dimitri's go, uh, I pick Paul. Oh, Paul's bad. And, and like, Dimitri's like, ah! Tom is like red faced. It was so good. It was so good. Like, it's some great, crazy table flip <laughs> memories. Uh, and, I, and, and it's, you know, like, like, if you can play it without trying to win and just yeah. play for the experience, yeah. I think you're going to have great time. I think that's time. true about a lot of these games on yeah, our list. Absolutely. Um, I think you'll see Battlestar much higher up on my, uh, 
my list as oh, well. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's, that's <laughs> uh, my number six is Dune slash Cosmic Encounters. I Dune cannot is... split them up. Okay. They are by the same design team of Bill Everly, Jack mm-hmm. Kitteridge, Bill Norton, and Peter Olatka. Uh, Dune and Cosmic Encounters are two classic uh, board games from the 70s re-implemented recently and, and, and coming out in a brand new yep. version coming out soon from Gale Force 9. Uh, they are the... The estates of asymmetrical games. Yep. And the estates is just one thing boiled down to perfection. Asymmetrical games will never get better than Cosmic Encounter and Dune in terms of just this is what asymmetrical games start as. Everything else is building off from those two. Mm -hmm. Um, These are games where wildly unbalanced is a feature, not a bug. Exactly. Wildly unbalanced. Unbalanced on purpose. Mm -hmm. Cosmic Encounter is not meant to be a... Is, there is no tournament version of Cosmic Encounter that could ever be played. The Sniveller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are uh, characters that you can pick in Cosmic Encounters that are not just better than all others, but OP to the point of laughably broken. Sure, sure. Just, you might as well have one that just says, if you pick this, this person wins, but you still have to play the whole game. <laughs> but, you know, if you are open to that, if you like that experience, and often that creates great stories because somebody goes, that power is crazy strong. Everybody gang up on that person for the whole game and you see if it can become a, a five versus one and sure, if, sure. if they still can win. Um, Dune obviously is a little more balanced, but still the fun of the game is how crazy different they all play and yeah, how exactly. and how sort of OP they all are in a different way. Like one of those games is higher on my list. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, but to me, Cosmic Encounters, uh, you could. I, I just think it it is designed to create stories and memories. Mm-hmm. That's almost it's almost a system of creating stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. with some rules around it. No, it, it, it's it's great. Uh, I think Cosmic Encounters is one of the first games that we played. Yeah, uh, and uh, there was a point where. I think what was it the peace people like you know like you can I'm gonna say peace and you say peace and then we and I and I betrayed right, you right, right. we can not fight by just saying we don't want to fight yeah and uh, and I betrayed you and you were so pissed this is like this is like the yeah, second yeah, game yeah. we played and, and you were like oh you're gonna do that you know and then it was just it was just one of my favorite memories yeah. of that like oh, any game with a betrayal mechanic in it is going to create some stories exactly exactly uh, for my number five I pick Kremlin have you ever played Kremlin I have not. Gremlin is a really fun game in the very sense, old game. Very old game. Uh, it's like I think it's 150 bucks now if you can get it. Uh, but basically, now from 1986, Gremlin. Yeah, I, you're basically trying to be. How should I say it the best way? There are a bunch of Russian leaders. You're trying to have influence over the the head leader, and uh, if if you can get the head leader to survive and wave to like there's a there's a kind of a parade and if you can wave to the people mm-hmm. uh, three times like you know uh, you win the game and and okay. the problem is like everyone like the person who has the visible influence uh, controls that person but someone can have like hidden influence and you know the person with the most influence actually gets those points right. So uh, what you wind up happening is having this kind of, you know, kind of secret movement of, uh, of the people into like higher positions. But the thing that makes the game great is that everyone is old and everyone, you, ro- you roll dice and you basically see they die. Everyone's old. <laughs> right. and so, so here's a 60-year-old guy. He's, you know, like, oh, the stress of, uh, of, 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 of parliament or whatever uh, has really, he's aged three years, and now he's getting more likely to get sick. And so you're, you're betting on these old horses, basically. Yep. And, and I, think, I think it's hilarious. And like, yep. <laughs> uh, like, I remember this one game where 
I was going to win only if I rolled a 20. And it was just me and Tom. And I go, and I roll, I hit the 20. And I go, I won. And Tom goes, yeah, but I played better. It was the most Tom thing he's ever said. <laughs> but yeah, it's so fun. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's, once again, like it's so much dice related stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you wind up, you, know, you can't aim to win. You can only aim to have fun. But I think you, if you can get a copy of it. I think uh, a lot of these are, is, I think we've also made a list of games Trey would rather die than play. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, I, I don't know. A little bit. Uh, my number five is Quartermaster General. Uh, yes. I would put this uh, alongside any team games. Mm-hmm. Team, I think Captain Sonar is a great mm-hmm. team game. Codenames is a team game. Sure. Teach You is a team game. Any game where you and someone else are pitted against other people uh, is going to facilitate some memories. To me, the best version of it is Quartermaster General, which is a six-player only Mm-hmm. World War II game of three teams fighting against each other, Axis versus Allies, everybody with a completely asymmetrical deck. Um, if you can get six people together, the game can be taught in 10 minutes. It's Absolutely. a very simple game. The game is literally draw a card, play a card. That's your turn. Uh, it's very fun. It's, it, it also, you have to go into it knowing it's pro- potentially unbalanced mm-hmm. and going to be a little silly. Yep. But... There is fun and laughter and uh, immersive storylines to come out of it. No, I, 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 you know, I love that game. I would, it would be on my list if not for the fact that it's sort of new for us. Yeah, it is. But, so that's why I sort of put Captain Sonar. We've, we mm-hmm. have memories from that. I know there's a million memories from Codenames and Teach You that sure, have come sure. over the years. But any of those games where these team games can often create really great memories. Absolutely, absolutely. Number uh, four. Are we going to number four already? Yeah. My number four is Captain Sonar. Hey. <laughs> hey. So, like, I, I, we don't actually play this game in our group. Because anyway. one player hated it so much, I sold it. Oh, well, yeah. I think, uh, but I think we might have given up on it a little too soon. Yeah. Like, you know, once again, like, this. this tell, ha- tell people what it is. So, basically, you want to play when there, you have eight people. Mm-hmm. Uh, four on each side. Exactly. And you're basically competing submarines. You're, it's. It's basically, is there a submarine? Hunt for Red October? Basically, yeah. yeah. It's Hunt for Red October. But there, there's like a, a barrier that the game comes with, so almost like a D&D screen exactly. that separates the table in half with four on one side and four on the other. You have to have a big table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and basically, one person is captain, one person is the navigator, yeah, one engineer. The, the missiles, like everybody has a different job on the submarine. And so, uh, and so basically, the game is... Can I find and destroy the other submarine before they do to me? Right. Well, you're basically playing a very complicated version of Battleship. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to find their spot and you're trying to shoot weapons at it and, and then go, did I hit you? And they go, yes or no. And I feel like this is almost like a team sport. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and your ability to really submit to that is really going to depend yeah, on... It's almost like a MOBA or something. Yeah, like, yeah. You could like train for it. Exactly. And, and I feel like we gave up on it just a little too soon because there's, there's some fiddly aspects. It's imperfect. Like the game yeah. is imperfect. I found like, it a little too fiddly and a little too, there's a lot of gray area and what was legal and what wasn't. And, and I feel like if, if we had just defined what truly, you know, like, yeah, we had to, we had to house rule some stuff, I think to make yeah. it work. But you know, like there, there, there's one time I remember, uh, David was the captain and, uh, our David friend Gillison is yeah, a friend. Yeah, yeah, with us our, a lot. our friend Rob, uh, it was an engineer first time playing, and so, like, we are getting rocked. Like, our, our ship, it, it, like, you know, David turns over to Rob and goes, what are you doing? And Rob's going, I don't know how to play this. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, can you just imagine that in the submarine? It, yeah. it, it's, it's just like a movie moment. <laughs> 
And I was like, going, oh my God. The stress levels so, are so I, we, high. We lost. Yeah. But like, it was so fun just to see that moment. I'll, I'll go to the grave with that moment. Yeah. And, I guess like, high stress levels is also, it creates memories. Exactly. Very exactly. high stress it, levels. It was, it, was, it was great. Uh, so, yeah. I, I think we gave up on it too soon. But like, you know, I think if you have the right group of eight, mm-hmm. you're going to find that a rewarding game. Right. My number four is Dice Masters. Whoa! Now, are you serious? Let's tell a little story here. <laughs> so, Paul and I, our friendship was cemented. Cemented, like you know. By a game called Marvel Dice Masters. So what is Marvel Dice Masters? Marvel Dice Masters is not a good game by any stretch, but <laughs> it is a fun game. Yep. And it came at a time in our lives when I think we both had time to there's a, so basically it's deck building with dice. Mm-hmm. You have characters and a pool of dice, and you are deck building. And then we, Paul and I went to a series of tournaments for <laughs> Marvel Dice Masters. We got a lot of grief for this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not look. This is a very light, silly game mm-hmm. uh, with a low amount of strategy in mm-hmm. it, but a high amount of tactics. Sure, sure. Uh, but uh, the person who rolls better is going to win. Yep. Uh, <laughs> or the person who spends the most on expensive, rare characters that yep. are overpowered because they're rare yep, yep. Uh, will often win. But to me, having a friend that you play any form of sort of uh, deck building or living card mm-hmm. game. So uh, Netrunner, Game of Thrones, yep. Arkham Horror LCG, Magic the Gathering, any of these sort of competitive deck building, team building mm-hmm. games that you can take to tournaments. If you have a friend that, you, that is as committed as you are in that, you're going to have stories for life. Oh, absolutely. I remember when we went to that Netrunner tournament. Yeah. And like, we only played with ourselves and we go like, oh, we got this. Yeah, like, you know, we, were, we were dope. Yeah, and, we thought we were so good. We drove to Pasadena. We played Netrunner with people who really knew how to play. Yeah. And it was so, so demoralizing. It was so shocking to me. Like, you yeah. know, I, I did not even understand what was possible yeah. with the game. We had a two-person meta, and we were like, we're good. Yeah, and, and so th- these kids, like, you know, were just playing, and th- they destroyed me so badly, and they were so nice. I think they yeah. went to Divinity School or something. Yeah. They, they, just, they were just so nice, and they just completely wrecked uh, my deck. I, I stopped playing the game. It was too much. It, yeah. was, it was too <laughs> shameful to play. I was like, oh, my God, this I don't even know anything. Yeah. It, I think there, there are a few game systems that will create more memories between you and a friend or a group of friends if you have multiple people to do it than, than joining some sort of a competitive deck building world because there's a creativity to it Absolutely. because there is you and a friend who are have your own thoughts on what's strong and what's weak. You're, you're working from the same pool of cards or dice or whatever and you both show up and so what are you playing today? All right, what are you playing? <laughs> or or you, you deck test each other's test decks on each exactly. other. You prepare for the tournament. You go, all right, this is going to be a strong deck. Let me try against you. Go to the tournament, get wrecked, win, whatever. Yeah, it, like it's just, it's a great, it's a one of the highlights of my life as a person who likes games. Is yeah, that absolutely, experience? Absolutely, I, I'm really touched that you put dice master. That's, that's a <laughs> brave four. choice. That's a brave choice. Number four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm Number gonna, three for you. I'm gonna get a lot of grief for this. Oh jeez. D and D five E. Yeah. I uh, like it. Like now, I understand that. Like, uh, you know, we have a board game group who you know, who kind of poo-poos uh, like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel that, you know, if you are like, if you've played a bunch of uh, RPGs, uh, most people start off with Dungeons and Dragons. And then right. if you play a lot of other ones and come back to Dungeons and Dragons, you'll find that you play it differently than a person who's, 
you know, who's first time who just wants to, you know, power max their, their, yeah. what you call it. And, uh, when somebody understands what it really is, they play it. Exactly. And those restrictions that you have with, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, that people find are limiting are actually, they're, they're freeing. Like right. I, 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 you know, I love playing board games that, you know, you're a murder hobo and you're just kind of going through and killing a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And this is just a freer version of that. Like I, I, I'm, I'm surprised in some ways that people, uh, look down on that because, you know, you, you do it with a board game with miniatures, yeah. you know, but you know, but my biggest, uh, my biggest, uh, what you call it suggestion is you shouldn't play with people who are all like-minded. You'll find that. Yeah. Like my, you, you want our group of yeah, eight very different players. Exactly. Like, you know, my, one of my favorite memories was when I was DMing and we're playing and Jesse was, uh, he was the firewatch. He's, he's guarding everyone at, you know, at night. And I, I had an owl bear just kind of walk through the, the what you call it, the, uh, the camp. Everyone's sleeping, and Jesse's just watching the owl bear walk into camp, not alarming anyone, just going, yeah. and he goes, What are you doing, Jesse? In my mind, as DM, I'm going, like, You're supposed to, like, you know, not let that thing kill your su- surprise. Yeah. Hey, guys, you know, Jesse, where were you? Like, what? It, 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 just having that kind of rationalization of, like, what are you doing? It, it's just hilarious. Uh, you know, I call him Olive Bear behind his back <laughs> <laughs> or to his face or to his face. But like, you know, I, I think like those type of memories, like, you know, having that person who thinks about the game differently, uh, is going to cause some great interactions. Absolutely. And, I think you will find D&D higher on my list than you had it. <laughs> There's only three more. <laughs> it's going to be a little higher. Yep. Uh, my number three is Secret Hitler. Really? Now, I'm putting this alongside Avalon and sure, Werewolf. Sure, 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 sure. All right, they're all the same. But I think Secret Hitler is the most memory-creating of all of these. A, because you're going to create memories by calling your friends Hitler. Yep, yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think it, there's a little more uh, noob-friendly randomness gotcha. to Secret Hitler mm-hmm. that I think will, can create more immersive storylines and uh, involves less strategy than mm-hmm. Avalon. And to me, I, I enjoy Secret Hitler much more than Avalon. Sure, sure. Because the play experience is much less punitive. Mm-hmm. And um, you still have control. I still think the better team will win. But there is, uh, there is a little more randomness thrown in, which I think improves a game like this. And mm-hmm. I think also, I think, I, think, I, like, I think Secret Hitler, in fact, in the 10 games we played of Secret Hitler and the 500 we played of Avalon, I think we have probably an equal amount of stories created out of both of them. I would um, disagree, but like, you know, yeah. but, but, you know, but I mean, what? we're still calling Alfred Hitler as, uh, you know, 10 fair, years fair, later, fair. we haven't played it. We still tell jokes about that game. Sure, sure, I mean, sure. to me, it's, you know, I, I think Secret Hitler, it, I've played it with, uh, my wife's family. There's, we have stories from those games. I, I just think it's a story creating system. Absolutely. I, I, I and, I, and I think Avalon or Werewolf does the job similarly. I just think the best preference. of them for creating stories specifically is mm-hmm. Secret Hitler. Cool. Cool. Uh, number two, my number two is Dune. Yeah. You know, like, uh, first of all, I love this IP, you know, so like it really helps to, well, you are Paul Muadib. Muadib, 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 Muadib. Uh, I, I love the books. I, I like the movie, the movies, plural. Yeah. Uh, I, I like anything with Dune involved in it at all. Exactly. And I'm really excited for the, uh, I am the Quitsack Hatterack. The sleeper has awoken. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I love the fact that they're remaking Dune. I love the director they've, they've chosen for it. In fact, I'd say all games you love are in some way a Gom Jabbar. 
what is inside the box, Paul? That's right. That's right. Pain. Like, pain. It's only pain. <laughs> Paul is the box, and everything in Paul is pain. <laughs> uh, now, Doom is far, far from a perfect game. Like you know, it can last four hours. Yeah. It can last no, forty-five. No, Doom could be minutes. the best game ever or the worst game. Ever. Yeah, and you have to be in the mood for that. It's unbalanced, wildly swingy, live interactivity. The way I, I describe it is, it is like a stunt in Jackass. Like basically you are, you put five friends in a shopping cart and you're going to try to jump over a Springfield Gorge. That's totally. what you're doing. And like, you know, the person who makes it across wins or not. <laughs> yeah. And so I really, I have, you know, I just have some great memories of like, you know, uh, people playing the Bene Gesserit and going like, oh, here's all your, your guys. Uh, there, there were all your guys. Yeah. One person kills off, uh, like whatever. It's also 20. perfectly. It's almost. I'd say it's equal to War of the Ring in terms of capturing the book. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, if you know that book, I mean, you, you feel like the Bene Gesserits when oh. you're like mind reading and knowing what people are going to do, and and you, you see the future because you decide what the future yeah, the, is. It's it's so good. It's, it's, it, I mean, well, the Harkonnens are so Harkonnen. Like it's it's it, so great. I would say that like you know, it's an expensive game. It's out of print. Well, you'll be getting a brand new version of it within the next year, yeah. I believe. And uh, and I will I, I I will not be able to buy I will not be able to press the buy button fast enough when yeah, that comes absolutely. I can't I will break my computer hitting buy so fast. <laughs> uh, you have to love the IP though. Like you know, it's like if you played the uh, Game of Thrones LCG. If you don't know Game of Thrones at all, yeah, it, it's just a bunch of mechanics. Like you know, right. this uh, if you love the IP, this is this is a must buy. Well, so Fantasy Flight Games re-implemented it in a game called Rex Final Days of an Empire, mm-hmm. and we played it, and we, nobody wanted to play it ever exactly. again. Bec- and we realized how much Dune was a huge part of that exactly. game working for us. And they also changed the rules a little bit. But for the most part, we just, I don't want to play it with a theme I don't care about. Yeah, like there's random aliens. It's, it's not yeah, interesting. Not my vibe. Uh, my number two is Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I know, Paul. Battlestar Galactica was the first board game I ever played mm-hmm. and of the modern board games that wasn't you know Monopoly and Sorry and Risk sure. um, I still think it's one of the greatest story systems mm-hmm. of all time uh, it blew my mind it was the game that it showed me what games could be and I think it, what, what really got me into the hobby was the fact that the combining of mechanics with, with um, storylines yep and finding storytelling systems that that with rules around them that sure, are sure. interesting, um, and it was complicated to me and exciting. But the whole concept of unzipping and that there's a bad person amongst us—that's all I wanted out of games. Sure, when, sure. I, when I first got into the hobby, I was just like, I, I didn't think of myself as into the hobby. I was like, I'm into—I want to play games where one person is bad, yeah, and yeah. everyone else is good. That's all I cared about. Sure, sure. I was like, that was a mechanic to me that blew my mind. Yeah, no, it, it, it's. Uh and the tension of that, and 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 you know, so you know, in in, in Battlestar Galactica, everybody's good except uh, there's a chance someone's bad at the beginning, mm-hmm. but there's also a chance that nobody's bad at the beginning. But you have to assume that there's there might be somebody bad in sure. the beginning. But by the second phase of the game, there's definitely somebody bad, and, and two. maybe two. Yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 the moment of unzipping, you know, it, that's what it's called when when somebody sh- you know becomes says you're bad. But it, it, we still we still use the phrase unzipping in, in every game we play. Like, are you unzipping now? Uh, you know, you have to explain to people who don't know what that means <laughs> that you're not being body. But you know, it, it's uh, there's so m- I, I I think back on that phase as like the happiest I've ever been in this hobby, just because it was oh, all yeah. so new to it, me it, and fresh. exciting. Yeah. And you're sitting down to play, and it's like it it has that feeling of a D and D experience of like you're sitting down and it's so 
so many possibilities and it's all so creative and you can't trust anyone at the table. And, and I actually didn't know any of these people I was sure, playing sure. with for the most part. It was all Tom and my, this new group I'd never met mm-hmm. before. So I, I cannot think of fonder memories. Battlestar Galactica is a grail game right now. Yep. It is a $250 game what? if you want to get a copy of it. It is completely oh out of print and oh impossible to get. I didn't uh, realize If that. you want the experience of Battlestar Galactica in a game that you can get for $50, it's called Dead of Winter. Okay. Uh, it's not as good of a theme to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite shows ever, uh, and I, I like it a lot more than just generic zombies. But I think Dead of Winter did a decent job of recreating Battlestar Galactica with a, with a, uh, with a little bit more of... Uh, uh, of, of an actual storyline into mm-hmm. the game. Sure, sure. That's sure. Right, the storyline is whatever you add to it. Uh, Dead of Winter has this crossroads system where actually mm-hmm. cards are telling stories. And so, so I, think, I think if you want that experience, you'll get it from Dead of Winter. Good, good, good. Like, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, great game. Great game. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, it's a bummer that it's totally out of print. And I, I think they lost the rights to the license, so I think you'll never oh see it Oh, my God. Again. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, here we go. Number one. I can't. I honestly, well, hold on. Let me, let me see if I can figure this out. Oh, it's Avalon. Duh. Duh. Uh, That's right. Of course it's Avalon. I was kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to me, like, you know, we've talked about Avalon a lot in this game. And if you don't own it, you should own it. It's cheap. It's like $10. And, you know, uh, and it's a perfect game. And, he, and here's why it's a perfect game to me. Uh, it is the, the only game that we have that we play regularly. Or, or actually, the only game that I've seen. We play it at least once a month. Yeah. The only game that I've seen that the theme and the meta are the same. Mm. Like, you know, there is no, there's no superfluous, like, oh, here is this theme that we have, but the meta is actually this. Like, you know, this is where you are either a good guy, you're a bad guy. As a good guy, the meta is try to find all, you know, the good guys and pick the right team. The yeah. bad guy is to deceive. It's all out there. And it's, 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 it's so rich. And the only caveat is, like, you just have to find people who want to play. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. Like, you know, it's, so, it's, it's always changing when you have that group because, like, the meta keeps on growing. Yeah. And you, it's more than anything, like, you know, it creates these memories because you're playing with people. You, no one is, has a distinct advantage. Like, you know, there are times, like what I say about the estates, like Tom is really good at uh, assessment. But, you know, no one has a perfect read. Right, you know, the, no one, no one goes. Oh, you've, you've, you're. You so- cannot, you cannot solve the game. Exactly, and and I really enjoy that aspect about it, and how every time, well, not every time, but like when we play, it reveals character. Like yeah. it reveals something about. Well, and you. it potentially changes your character. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, that's true. Yeah, you know, like like watching the, the growth between uh, uh, Trey of then to Trey of now is. Lovely. I'm seeing it with Alfred. It's yeah. It, it's it's good. It, it's so Alfred still pretty much just shuts down during most games though. But yeah, but still, like you know, when when he's able to like 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 yesterday when we were playing, I was watching Matt and Matt was good, uh, and he was he was like desperately pleading with Trey. You have to trust me. Trey mm-hmm. was like, I'm going. I'm like I go. Wow. You know, if Matt could just be this when he was bad like you yeah. know play with the same emphaticness yeah. i'm gonna have to now like i it would be he i could not tell yeah it would be so good he'd be so good and then the meta would have to change completely again well that i need to do that now. yeah no yeah. like it, i have like, to start playing like that yeah. no matter what yeah exactly it's great yeah uh no i mean it's it's hard to to say that it shouldn't be your number one but why is it not mine because my number one 
is Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. There, there's just I, I, oh, yeah, come I, on. there's just no game that is better at creating memories ever to be made sure, than, sure. than Dungeons and Dragons. Replace it with whatever RPG you like, but yep. just the concept of a group of people getting together to literally tell a story and to create your own characters. It's the character creation mm-hmm. part of that that's going to create sure. memories. It's what wh- what do you really want to be in this fantasy world exactly. that you're stepping into? That says so much about who you are. It's going to set so much about the group. You know, watching your friends sort of perform yeah, these, these different characters other than their own to make decisions outside of themselves, but you still know it's really them. And what are they showing you their true self or are they playing against their type? Exactly. Because it's fun to be different. It's going to create stories. Um, we, uh, I got super into it about five years ago, four years ago, maybe yeah. four or five years ago. And I DM'd, I, I decided I had to check the bucket list of DMing. No requirement. Yeah, I had I had to DM at one point in my life. Um, so I bought all the books when 5e, 5e had just come out, I believe. I bought all the books. I got so obsessed with it. I got wildly obsessed with it. As I mean, Anybody listening to this knows what my level of obsession is. It was bad for D&D. <laughs> I got bad obsessed. Sure. Um, I mean, the amount of times I read that Dungeon Master's Guide, I, I think I had it memorized basically <laughs> by the time we sat down. You know, I, I put way too much time into planning each one of our sessions. I took it so seriously because I was like, I'm a, I'm a writer by trade. Sure. Like, I have to be good. I have to be incredible at this. Yeah. There's no, I mean, you were great. I was fine. To not be incredible at it to me was like, ridiculous like this is what i do for a living like i have to be good at this mm-hmm. this is great like it was like a game that was like it, and it stressed me out and actually why i, I never want to do it again it's because like it's <laughs> time suck you have a baby now well i have a baby now and, and but you know beyond that like it's it's what i do for a living every day like i that's the opposite of why i want to play games <laughs> um yeah and it was something i'm glad i did but it, i mean we still talk about all the jokes from there i mean oh, sure sure you know i mean like even during like <laughs> I think having a Jesse in your group for D&D is wildly important. Oh, absolutely. They, Somebody who is not necessarily going to do what you asked them to do. Like, I remember at the beginning, of the game, I was like, guys, in my first time DMing, I, I'm, not saying go on, I'm not saying go on rails, but like, it would be great if we all just sort of stuck together because I'm learning this too. Literally, I think three minutes later, Jesse goes, okay, guys, there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's like a, a, a cart broken down in the middle of the road. You're all standing you know, far enough away. They haven't seen you yet. What do you do? Jesse goes, I'm, I've already walked up to the cart. I was like, okay, guys, <laughs> good to know. Jesse's gone. Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, so it, it definitely um, made me have to step outside my comfort zone playing with Jesse, where I think the rest of you were a little more like, well, let's, uh, let's be easy well, on that. I, I will say, like, you know, the thing I love most about D&D is... And I, it's, it's trite now, but like the alignment system. Yeah. You know, like, you know. No, we well, talk about that all the time. Exactly. All, yeah. Are you chaotic neutral? Are you mm-hmm. lawful good? Yeah. And I was, I was going to say, well, we could break down the people, but we're not going to. But, yeah. but you know. Like, well, that is that we've done it with Street Fighter. We've told you who all of the members are group of Street Fighter. We will do their, uh, we'll do their alignment. Or, you day. know, you guys can like write us and tell us what you yeah. think we are. Yeah. You're chaotic like, neutral. We all know. Maybe a little more, who knows? But like, but you know, we'll see. It, it, it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, can you tell what we are from our podcast yeah. uh, 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 persona? Uh, that was a great list, Paul. Thanks, man. I, I, I love. I had a lot of fun making this list. Me too. Thank you for coming up with this idea. This was fantastic. Let's jump into some board game sommelier before we call this a day. There's a theme song. We didn't get to hear it last week. I love it. It goes like this. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. <laughs> Which game should go? Which to play with my mom, my dad, my boo? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. Always. I mean, Great. I wonder if French people get offended by that. I, I don't know. 
They should. Uh, this is from Zach D. I am looking for an armored potato war simulation game for my weekly board game group. Do you have any recommendations? You know what, Zach? I'm trying to tell people to ask for specific questions. I see what you've done there. Maybe I've made a mistake. You're making fun of me. I understand. The game you're looking for is Potato Wars. It's not a real game. Uh, somebody's <laughs> making fun of me for asking people to be specific. Uh, first of all, I love the show. This is from Eric Castelline. I think I said your name correctly. Let me know if I didn't. First of all, I love the show. Thanks for an exciting addition to the hobby. I don't know if it's of interest to you, but one of the most fascinating games I've heard of, though never played, actually qualifies as a game about lawyers, or at least the law. The actions you take in NOMIC, N-O-M-I-C, are kind of a mix between creating laws and arguing how and whether they apply. I actually learned about it from Douglas Hofstetter's collection of Scientific American columns called Metamagical Themis, an anagram of mathematical games, which is the Martin Gardner column that preceded it. Uh, so Trey, if you're listening, go check up NOMIC on Wikipedia. You'll see an explanation of the game. Uh, just briefly, Nomic is a game created in 1982 by philosopher Peter Suber, in which the rules of the game include mechanisms for the players to change those rules, usually beginning through a system of democratic voting. Mm. That sounds like a wild. pre-legacy game. Sounds wildly interesting. Thank you so much, Eric, for bringing that to our attention. Uh, this is from um, also, wow, people with uh, really testing my name reading abilities. Ruarid Matheson, probably got that wrong. Hi, guys, love the podcast. I was wondering if you had a solution to my problem. Uh oh! I just bought Azul and I love it. It's not the end of his question. But the player <laughs> boards, but the player, but the player boards are warped. Do you know a good way to straighten out game and player boards because they regularly become out of the box? Squint, especially the folding ones. Thanks, guys. I not only have an answer to this, but I have a solution. Oh wow! Your Here. solution is very heavy dictionaries overnight. Okay. This happens all the time. So uh, a lot of cardboard components are packaged and sealed in boxes and shipped. And when they uh, come out of the box, they hit the air, and the air actually will warp the cardboard. Mm. Um, it happens all the time. Often games are warped or player boards are warped because they were packaged in a different environment and different humidity. And they do something to, when, when they're made there to help flatten them. Mm -hmm. But when you take them to a different climate, mm -hmm. often when it hits the air, it will change and warp. So I've never had it not work by mm. taking, I have an Oxford English Dictionary, a giant heavy one. Uh, you could take any heavy books you want. If you don't have heavy books, just take a lot of books or weights or whatever you have that you know, could displace the weight evenly and place them on top of them and leave them overnight. Would putting a desiccant in the uh, in the box like help? Like like you What's know, a desiccant? desiccant is like the thing that absorbs water, like you find in your shoes or like seaweed. Like you know, so like after you press it with the yeah, the, I don't know. That's a good question. It, it would. I, I think it would it, theoretically. I, like, they're, they're, those are never found in board games. At least the ones that exactly, I've yeah, seen. Yeah, okay. I wonder why. But you could find it. You know, you, you can get it anywhere. Like yeah, I wonder know. why they do that. I wonder. There must be some reason that maybe it t makes them too dry and brittle, and they fall apart or something without a little moisture maybe. or something. It, or, but get yourself a heavy. Pile of books, stack them on top, leave it at least overnight. If it's a real tough one, sometimes it'll take a couple days, but I've never had that not solve the problem. Um, next one is, uh, this is from Michael McNulty. I have a wild schedule, so I can't play games consistently, but I like heavier stuff. What are some heavyish games that are easier to get back into so I don't spend half the night reading and checking the rule book? Also, please stop talking about Monopoly. Every time you mention it, I get closer to writing an internet argument email about it. There's more skill than you think. <laughs> mm. he, he probably watches world championship monopoly maybe it's very possible um heaviest games that you will not be checking the rule book constantly on that is tough that is a tall order Gaia project i mean it, it really depends on finding um a game that you are down to commit to i mean by heavy a heavy game by its nature is going to be 
complicated mm -hmm. and need some. But I, I think what you're really asking is games that don't have like an annoying level of edge cases. Um, For me, like I would say Age of Steam. You know, I, I feel yeah. like it, although like you know it's it's a heavy game. Yeah. Uh, we never refer back to the rules. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, I think once you learn it like you know it mm -hmm. might take you a maybe two reads of the the book to really get it yeah but once you once you play it like i think like it's fairly self-evident totally I, i'd say i'd say uh great western trail also sure i don't find that uh to have a wild amount of edge cases and things you need mm -hmm. to be referring back to i feel like once you learn it you've learned it um yeah gaia project is tough for the gaia project mm -hmm. and gaia forming section yep. it's tricky to get your brain around for the first few games you're going to go how does this work again what do i do mm -hmm. but also like if you just put in the time and get that system down you don't really need to own any other heavy games <laughs> gaia, <laughs> gaia project is gonna you know it's one of your favorites isn't it, it yeah i didn't make the list uh oh, it, it, memories yeah but it, it's gonna scratch that euro heavy itch forever mm -hmm. i sure, mean sure. I, you know so to me it's like you know just take the time memorize it get it down and you know every time you play it, it'll feel so different that you might not even want another heavy game um last one we are going to ariel ariel it's one of those. Uh, question for Matthew. I saw your BGG games list that you rate Glory to Rome, Innovation, and Red 7 pretty high. Have you played Impulse or Motanai yet? I have not. Nor have I. Uh, I love Carl Chudik. Those are all Carl Chudik games, Glory to Rome being my favorite, but I really love Red 7 and Innovation. Those are the two I haven't played. I keep wanting to pick them up. They're not the super easiest to come by, um, at least when I've found them at uh, conventions and stuff. Um, but yeah, I've heard they're great, and I will. Mm -hmm. If I, I recommend everybody check out Carl Chudik, mm -hmm. who is an incredible uh, American designer and does some. I think I'm very the person, original games. I'm the person in our group who who is the most okay with Glory of Rome. Like I think people mm -hmm. love Glory. Like I liked it when the art was uh, cartoonish, as opposed yeah, yeah. to this like you no know, bleak, you know, yeah, fascist yeah. looking art. I, yeah. I, think, I think that makes me sad. So, but like you know, I get that. Um, that's it for us, guys. Look at us clocking in under two hours. We like did it. Champs. We did, everyone. Come on, give ourselves a hand. Bam, 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 bam. Bam. Uh, thank you so much, Paul. It was lovely having the metagamer join us this week. It couldn't have been a more metagamery <laughs> episode. We metagame. I try to please. I try to please. You were fantastic and a lovely addition to my life and <laughs> our board gaming group. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, go to our uh, Facebook group and join it Game Brain Pod Facebook. Find us there. Join it. Ask to be a member. You will be instantly approved, I promise. Um, GameBrainPod.com. Our artist, uh, Edamaros Peleg, who's done all of our graphic design. You can see all of his beautiful artwork displayed at GameBrainPod.com. If you go to episodes now, you will find all of our episodes listed in a beautiful sort of album art kind of way. And if you mouse over them, you'll see all the art that Edamaros has done for all of our episodes. Um, uh, what else? That's it. You can find me at, well, I'll just do it this way. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com, as well as information that you could want on all of us. You can reach me by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com. Send your board game sommelier questions there. Or at Twitter, GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends, or go make some friends, friends with, with games. games. <laughs>